Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 29, headlined by the Korean Zombie and Dan Ige in a pivotal featherweight scrap. This is the second time that Dan Ige is going to be in the main event, and hopefully he can reverse his fortunes from his last time out in a main event slot against Calvin Cater, and hopefully he can get a dub this time around. Uh, Korean Zombie, obviously, we're trying to figure out what's going with him. There's a lot of rumors out there that this could potentially be his last fight especially if he ends up losing so a lot of question marks are going to be answered this weekend not to mention a couple other intriguing fights that i can't wait to break down for you guys throughout this hour and a half to two hours that we're going to be going for the ultimate win stream obviously we had the wins this morning nobody missed weight josh Prezian did make us wait even though he's a heavyweight he goes out there and still makes a uh, heavyweight limit at 266 pounds with about 10 minutes left on the clock to weigh in but at least he makes weight nobody looks bad so no pullouts knock on wood nobody pulls out while we're doing this stream but uh again very much looking forward to breaking this down for you guys as always i brought some friends along with me i still haven't repeated a guest yet which is my goal for the next couple weeks as well to see in how many different types of people that i can bring in that i trust and know that they know their shit and i definitely have guys on here that know their shit so first and foremost we're gonna bring on my bearded friend christian costello he's actually the number one spot in the lock of the night challenge for the 25 dollars game and that's a great way for me to segue to actually tell people that the registration is open up again but first and foremost christian what's going on my brother not much man i i know a lot of people aren't super excited for this card or they, it's kind of low level i think it's fun i'm a better and a fan so i mean if there's fights i'm ready to bet them so excited looking forward to it and also i was second place in the dog of the night challenge on the last edition oh there you go <laughs> trying to boast his chest even more this guy's trying to take home the cake once again with the with the lock of the night challenge this time around yeah it's tough to top ufc 263 from last week right like we had a giant card now we're coming back and there's a little bit of deflation in terms of the name value but still fights are fights and we get to bet on them and that's what most people are here to listen to what our opinions are and all that type of stuff i do want to say quickly before i bring the other two guys in the lock of the night challenge restart or the last game for the lock of the night challenge is actually next week with the uh the gone versus volkov card i'm already going to be opening up the registrations right now so people can start signing up and then the first event that'll be taking place for that card is going to be the uh conor mcgregor and dustin poirier card so i believe the deadline for the registrations i'm actually going to end up making on uh sunday july 4th but i still want to open up the registration right now so people can hop on in if you don't know what the lock of the night challenge is just hit me in the dms on twitter at mmalotn trust me you guys are going to have a lot of fun over there another person that's a part of the lock of the night challenge and i believe the dog of the night challenge we got my guy felix levine joining us uh felix what's going on my brother how are you thank you so much for for having me i'm actually not in the dog of the night this time and i'm struggling on the lock of the night this time i won the hundred dollar one i believe in the last edition um but yeah I'm, I'm shooting too high on these parlays um and then when you fall back behind then you just shoot for the moon so um but i'm happy to be uh joining you guys today absolutely i know a lot of people like they they are very strategic in the first couple weeks yeah. of the game and then once they feel like they're starting to fall behind then it's like let's swing for the fences and let's see what we're, we can get that's where i'm at right now well, Christian was kind of in a similar situation, right? But he got lucky. Uh, he hit a uh, fucking Tom Aspinall by by submission, parlayed with something else that night, which ended Ooh. up giving him odds of like plus twenty three hundred, and he ended up uh, getting that that first spot. Do you remember what the other piece of that parlay was, Christian? It was yeah, it was Dalkis uh, Olenek, I believe, oh, yeah. un under two and a half. I, and I just told you on Twitter, like it's just you know, I told a lot of people, I was like. The bell of the ball streak ends tonight, like via <laughs> I, I don't it's it. like his his Twitter handle is Aspinall BJJ. It's like <laughs> it was out there for the world. 
I love it. I love it. And I also like that he just kept quiet until I updated the standings. Like he didn't even tell me that he hit it until I updated. Once I updated, I'm like, dude, what the <laughs> fuck? And he and he absolutely slapped it. Uh just, just <laughs> top there for the work. Uh, just saying for the last part here now for uh, for Felix, actually, he does have a podcast of his own. Where's this going? Uh, we'll plug it a little bit more at the end of the show here, but he does have some skills behind the mic, so he knows what the hell he's doing as well and does know his MMA. Another guy that knows his way around MMA, we got my guy, John Kelly DFS. I believe he has his own podcast, and he does a lot of work over there for FTN Daily alongside my guy, Jonah Schiffman, Jay Schiffy MMA on, uh, on Twitter, I believe. John, what's going on, my brother? Hey, what's up, man? Excited to pop my uh, lock of the night cherry and talk through the fights with uh, you, Christian, and Felix here. So uh, ready to get into it. I'm I'm with Christian. I think there's actually a, a decent amount of good spots this week, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm happy. That the one thing that I'm happiest about in terms of the show that I'm doing, the Ultimate Wayne Show, is bringing in all these different minds from all different parts of the space, right? Like you're, you're, uh, John, I believe, is more so focused on the DFS side of things, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about in terms of betting. So obviously he has an edge there. Felix as well has his own background in it. And obviously Christian is getting a little bit more comfortable, especially behind the mic and in podcasting. Shout out to my guy, Brian Petrie and the MMA Takes podcast for giving him a home over there. But uh, yeah, we got a ton of different views and opinions here so i can't wait to break it down uh with these guys for you guys so let's not waste too much more time let's start things off right at the bottom of the card we got laura procopio going up against casey o'neill and i'll kick this damn thing off here uh tough fight for me to truly cap it seems like there's a lot of love out there for laura procopio and the line is starting to swell up in that favor i believe she's all the way up to about minus 160 minus 165 i'm even seeing minus 170 at a couple spots uh plus 150 is the return on casey o'neill uh, i don't know what it is but i'm i'm leaning on the casey o'neill side but not with much conviction in this spot now laura procopio bjj black belt she looks a little bit better in the striking realm in terms of what she brings with the technical side of it and even in her fight against carol hosa where she was getting battered up for 15 minutes she was still making a good account of herself in terms of landing a ton of significant strikes of her own and like kind of just wading through whatever uh rosa was throwing her way and then in her next fight she'll always have a special place in my heart for cashing as a slight underdog against molly mccann last time around using her bjj to the best of its ability, dragging Molly McCann down over and over again, and then wrapping up that decision victory just off of control time alone. Uh, with Casey O'Neill, still a little bit green, 6-0 in her career, 23 years old, uh, was initially from Australia, moved over to Extreme Couture. I believe her boyfriend trains out of there as well, which is why she's stationed out of there. Uh, seems to be very aggressive, seems to be very powerful, uh, purple belt and jiu-jitsu and that's where she seems to try to drag most of her fights tries to get the fight to the ground suffocate her opponent ground and pound a submission whatever it may be that's her preferred method of uh victory or, or path to victory, I should say. Here it's going to be a little bit more difficult considering she has a black belt to so that she's going up against in Procopio, but I don't think that Procopio offers up much of a uh, resistance in terms of off of her back. I think she's much better on top, and I think that's where she's going to struggle here against Casey O'Neill, who probably might be too heavy and too powerful from on top and should be able to land the better and more damaging strikes. I don't see a finish coming in this fight, so I'm actually going to be taking O'Neill to win this fight by decision, but I got to say it's probably the fight that I feel most or second uh most uh or i should say second least confident on this card about because i believe that th there's still a lot of question marks about both women so ultimately i will be going with the casey o'neill side of things and i'm fully expecting some pushback on on somebody from this uh panel once we get around to them but uh, first and foremost we'll start off with the, with christian christian how do you feel about this fight and do you think the dog in o'neill has a bite here it's funny when you said a lot of question marks, because even on my notes, it's like, uh, there's a bunch of question marks on them. Um, 
Look, I don't think Casey O'Neill is going to come out with this one. She, I have a thing with undefeated Russian fighters, especially the Dagestani fighters. Like, I bet them. I'll bet them until they lose. Like, Scottish, Australian fighters, and then to Vegas, I don't have the same thing. I'm fading her until she loses. Um, I know she was dominant against Shayna Dobson, and, you know, say what you want about Shayna Dobson. Very up and down. Um, I think... You know, Procopio got pieced up by Carol Hosa, but I mean, Carol Hosa can crack. Um, I, I just don't see, um, you know, with O'Neill not being the same caliber striker, I think, you know, I really think Procopio is the better overall fighter. Um, I, better in stand-up, as long as she doesn't get some sort of, as long as O'Neill doesn't get some sort of crucifix mount, like it's, you know, it, you know, the exact same thing that happened last time. I. I've got Procopio all day. The one thing you said, it's like you see it go into a decision. Um, like the first fight of the night, I know it's cooled off lately, but if, if we looked at the whole year, it's just crazy how much those fights are are, are finishing. Like I, I've never tallied up the numbers, but I think we had a streak of like 10 in a row, something like that. So I'll probably eye it. Just, uh, I, you know, I, I'm going to pick Procopio. Uh, I don't have like any serious money, um, but yeah, I, I just I think she's better. I think Casey O'Neill's unproven. It, she has a chance to prove me wrong, but then I'm still fading her out the next time around. Yeah, shout out to everybody that was able to get uh, Procopio around even money as this line has swelled throughout the week. Felix, are you one of those guys that jumped in on Procopio early here, or do I, you think that Casey actually has some bite here? I wish that I was one of those guys. I actually think that Christian's probably about right. I think in the minus 180, minus 200 range. I just think that um o'neill can win if she you know if she's on top if she kind of does uh you know her thing from i don't think procopio can really uh you know threaten her from the bottom but i just think that for me in a low level you know wmma fight um if i'm gonna take a shot on the dog you know i want at least plus 200 plus 250 something um a little bit more interesting so i'll probably pass on the dog there procopio you know maybe if you're look if you're a parlay kind of player and you're just watching for fun. You want to throw in an early parlay so you can get maybe a little bit more of a, a juiced up price for something down the line in the card um, or a bigger favorite down the, down the line. I think that's interesting. Um, I think Christian makes a good point about, you know, plus 500 in the distance is the price that I see. Um, that's definitely more appealing than a plus 110, plus 120 by decision prop. So for me, I'll probably pass, um, you know, if I'm just looking to, to have a little bit of fun action in the beginning, maybe I'll throw in Procopio with something uh, later down the card. I'll see how I feel tomorrow. But for me, it's, you know, maybe a, a plus 500 in the distance sprinkle. But, um, you know, the dog number isn't big enough for me to hit it. And I just don't really know enough about Procopio at this point um, or really O'Neill at this point to make a, a very educated wager or really put a lot of money into it. John, you're going to leave me on an island over here with Casey O'Neill, or uh, you're going to join me over here? <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I'm going to leave you on an island, man. It's it's pretty clear that uh, UFC's like trying to hype up Casey O'Neill. Not the not the worst looking girl in the world. Uh, look good in her debut, but that was against Shayna Dobson. I actually bet O'Neill against Shayna Dobson because I thought the wrestling and grappling upside was pretty clear in that fight. And in this matchup, I just I don't think it's really there against Procopio. Um, you know, that's, that's clearly O'Neal's best path to victory. I know she said in interviews and stuff this week, like she's 
very well-rounded, wants to show off her striking. But I think if she stands and strikes with Procopio for 15 minutes, she's going to get like massively outpointed on the feet. The defense especially just isn't there. Um, and I'm, I'm not even really convinced that her wrestling and grappling is all that good. Like, I do think she's, she's a little bit more physical than Procopio, but, um, you know, maybe she can land a takedown or two. But even in that Shayna Dobson fight, like, she landed a takedown, got reversed. Dobson even, like, briefly got to mount. And Shayna Dobson, I think we can all agree, is, like, pretty terrible grappler. So um, there's definitely holes. I mean, she's still super young, like, 23 years old. So there's always, you know, she's going to be improving. There's no doubt about that. But I think Procopio is just a little bit more proven at this stage and pretty much just has O'Neill covered. So I, I wanted to jump in early around evens minus 122. I know FanDuel had that number out for a while, but unfortunately was behind this week. So by the time I went to bed, it had already moved to like minus 150. And I think that's that's probably about where where it should be, you know, because there's always a chance O'Neill, like I said, could land a couple takedowns, bank some control time. Uh, but for the most part, I think Procopio probably has her covered here. So unfortunately, I'll have to leave you hanging on this one, man. <laughs> it happens to me every now and then, so I don't mind that. But yeah, we'll definitely find out a lot about both women in this fight, especially with them being so young. This is a stiff test for both of them. Even on Procopio's side, to get a win over Casey O'Neill, the bigger, stronger woman, will be very uh, helpful for at least in terms of experience and moving forward and trying to get more dubs inside the UFC. All right, let's move on to the next one. This one, I'm very much looking forward to hearing what everybody's thoughts are on. On it uh we got joaquin silva going up against ricky glenn get his name right it's ricky glenn nowadays uh in terms of odds we got minus 130 ish on joaquin silva plus 110 plus 120 on ricky glenn i'll actually let christian start this one off how are you feeling about this uh matchup between two guys that have been outside of the cage for a long time ricky glenn closer to three years off and uh, joaquin silva closer to two years off who do you think pulls off the dub tomorrow night my first thoughts on it are when he changed his name i just picture silva calling him hickey Hickey Glenn, Hickey, <laughs> Hickey Glenn. Um, look, I, I'm kind of worried about Rick Glenn with that layoff coming up and wait. You know, he's like a plumber now. He's like, you know, he's got kids, plumbing. I know that's like, it's hard to cap a fight on that, but it's like, you know, when I get older, it's like, I know how your mentality changes over time and it's hard to include that in. But um, I was actually kind of hoping I would get to do this one first because this is, the first of my night it's a body bet a muscle bet and i know you've roasted me for those over time <laughs> with maverick and usman yep <laughs> yep just a straight physique it's a adonis physique bet i mean you know rick glenn's got he's got a soft shitty body like i do i i mean <laughs> you know i know he that destruction against gavin tucker was like whew. But um, like, I mean, Silva, I, I do think is so much better. The time off, it's like almost impossible to cap like five plus years between the two of them. So I'm just literally like, when I look at them, it's like, you know, one guy's plumbing at plumbing, you know, you're working whenever it's like, you know, the water leaks when it leaks. So um, yeah, I, I got Silva here just, and it's the first, there's another body bet coming. <laughs> I can't wait to see what the second one is. Uh, Felix, how are you feeling about this matchup between Joaquim Silva and uh, new lightweight to Ricky Glenn? I think Christian's 100% right that uh, Joaquim <laughs> Silva definitely has the body uh, in this matchup. However, I will say that I, I think I haven't hit it yet, but I'll probably hit Glenn either straight up or plus 200 by decision. I think that Glenn can definitely win the matchup. I think he has to bring his volume. Uh, he's been durable. I mean, he's, they're both 32 coming off long layoffs. 
Um, you know, Silva's obviously a finisher. Six of his 11 wins are by TKO, and nine of his total 11 wins uh, professionally are by finish. But Glenn is a tough guy. He's never been TKO'd. Um, and I just think that if he's able to, to stay alive, make it out of the first couple of rounds, um, I think he can bring a little bit of volume, uh, and I don't really see him getting finished again, if he can stay out of harm's way. So for me in that kind of decision, in that kind of spot, um, I think plus 200 by decision is, is interesting. Cause if it gets to a decision, I think Glenn probably wins it. Um, plus 120, Sure. But I don't really uh, straight up, but I just don't really think that he's going to finish, uh, Silva. So I'm going to go with the dog for me. It's dog or pass in, in this situation. Um, give me a little bit of by decision, but I haven't actually bet anything, uh, just yet. Uh, John, so this is the first time that Ricky Glenn is actually going to be competing as a father. We've seen Donald Cowboy Cerrone turn into a mythical beast when he became a father. But on the other flip side, we got Mike Perry, who ends up coming on the losing end once he became a father. How do you feel like this could impact uh, Ricky Glenn going into this fight? And then ultimately, how do you see this fight playing out? Yeah, so we have the father narrative, but there's also some other uh, first things for Ricky Glenn. Like, this is the first time fighting up at 155. So he was a guy who said, if I ever miss weight at 145, I'm going to move up. So he missed weight uh, back in 2018 against Kevin Aguilar. This is his first fight up at 155 here. So it's just a couple other red flags for me. Like, uh, aside from just the massive, you know, nearly three-year layoff, moving up a weight division. He, he actually had hip surgery in 2019 as well. Christian mentored, he mentioned he's been a full-time plumber. Uh, so there's like, you know, those are some pretty serious concerns for me. And then going up against a guy who does have legitimate power like Joaquin Silva. Um, so I actually played the under uh, two and a half at plus 188. I, th I think there's some better numbers out there um, if, if you go shopping around a little bit. But I actually do think we see a finish here. I think Silva is super powerful, heavy leg kicks. He's obviously got the hands, uh, you know, not a great look, getting knocked out by by Nasrat. But Nasrat's a pretty good boxer, so I'm not going to fault him too much. So, uh, so yeah, I think, I think there's a finish here. I think it probably comes from the Silva side. But you know, Silva's kind of a gasser too. So if he gets tired, maybe Glenn could come on late if he doesn't look like complete garbage. But it's just one of those things. Like I know Glenn has been durable throughout his career. Like he's made a living being super tough and durable at 145. But as you get older and the more damage you take, you know, we see it time and time again, that tends to go away. And then you factor in the, the three-year layoff, the hip surgery, moving up a weight class, like those are some some serious stuff. So I think we're getting a pretty good number, two to one on your money in a fight that I, I think is pretty high paced that both guys have a little bit of finishing equity. Yeah, there, there are, is just one thing that I just want to correct you on in terms of Ricky Glenn fighting at 155 pounds. It did happen once. I do believe he took oh, his, uh, his initial fight in the UFC against Evan Dunham was up at 155 pounds, but that fight did not play out well for him at all. Like Evan Dunham was having a lot of success in that fight, beating him up uh, pretty much, beating him to the punch. Uh, and, and there was times where Evan Dominum was actually close to even stopping him. Uh, but I believe that fight was on shortness, but you are correct. The majority of his career, I'd say every other one of his fights did actually happen at featherweight. Uh, but yeah, he is going up, like you said, to, to, to lightweight here. And I'm not sure how much it's going to truly translate for him in terms of, uh, you know, the advantages that he thought he had at featherweight. He was the bigger guy at featherweight pretty much at all times, right? Standing at six foot tall, especially in that Kevin Aguilar fight, we could definitely see the pronounced height there where we had Kevin Aguilar at five foot seven. Now, 
even with Kevin Eichler at the what a uh, five or four inch reach dis uh, height disadvantage, he was still finding the money shot, like in terms of just finding the the punches. Even with Rick Land kind of just stalking him for the majority of that fight, that's Rick's Rick Land style. Like I'm pretty familiar with Glenn, even from the regional scene. He competed for the Score Fighting Series, which is a company that I was uh, closely associated with back in the day, and he was beating up on our Canadian guys like with no issues. But going going uh, into the UFC here, he's finding it much more difficult going up against a guy like like I said, Kevin. Aguilar, who was on his back foot for the majority of that fight, yet was finding a ton of success in terms of letting his strikes go because I feel like Ricky Glenn is still very hittable, even the one, even though he's the one actually moving forward and uh, making it look like the fight is in his favor. But he does not wear damage well. A lot of his opponents have success. Like I said, Miles Jury, Kevin Aguilar, same fights pretty much playing out with him just stalking them the entire time. But even on the back foot, these guys are lighting the cleaner shots. Now you're giving a, gi giving me a much more vicious striker and Joaquim Silva, uh, a heavier puncher guy that throws up more combinations great leg kicks doesn't head hunt you know has solid body shots as well just as we saw in the jared gordon fight and i think that's going to play out for him very well in this fight against ricky glenn where he'll be able to piece up the guy that's moving forward for the majority of the time and i think he has a really good shot of actually knocking out rick glenn which will actually be the first time he's ever been knocked out in his career he has six total losses, two of them coming by submission, four of them by decision. But I don't think he's fought somebody like Joaquim Silva at this point in his career that could put that type of hurting on him. And I do think that Silva will will, will beat him. And one more slight counter argument uh, in regards to his gassing. I feel like he's kind of fixed that, right? Like he he clearly won the third round against Vince Michelle. That was a fight that probably could have easily gone his way as well because that first round was goddamn close. Uh, and then he finishes Jared Gordon, who probably was slowing down himself in that fight, but he finished him in the third round too. So it at least goes to show that he seems to have sustainable power and the ability to still put punches together, combinations together, mixing up to the body, going to the head and finding the knockout eventually, which I think he'll be able to do here, which is why I'm going to go with Joaquim Silva and Silva by knockout. I believe the line is currently sitting around plus 400, plus 500. And that's the spot that I like here with the vicious striker and Joaquim Silva. And man, did he look bodied up this morning at the weigh-ins, like my guy Christian was saying, because I, I think he looked the best on the scale. I believe he was the first on the scale, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, maybe he was trying to make a make a statement there. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, my favorite fight on the card. We got Josh Parisian going up against Roki Martinez. Uh, in terms of odds, we got Josh Parisian coming in at uh, minus 135, plus 120, plus 125 is a return on Roki Martinez. And I'm actually going to let my guy Felix kick this one off for us who do you think wins this heavyweight slop fest so i'll just say that i don't have a, a great read on this um i think it's yeah as you said it's gonna be a, a sloppy fight um i usually in a, in a sloppy heavyweight fight obviously i'm looking at the dogs um because it is a a heavyweight fight and it, it, it is sloppy um i have really really like again no real read on it i think that rope uh, you know martinez definitely has better durability uh decent cardio moves forward um you know, it's kind of a savage. Uh, but again, I think that Parisian is probably a little bit better, has a little bit more uh, volume, but still against uh, Porter really didn't look impressive, uh, kind of gassy, sloppy, really not technical at the end, especially when he started gassing. So for me, the way I see it is, uh, you know, Martinez is really the slower guy, but more is going to be moving forward. I don't know how much um, Parisian wants to, to play off his back foot. Uh, I do think that this probably goes over. However, I don't like the price. Um, right now, the over two and a half is currently at a pick em at most places or in that kind of range. And so for me, over two and a half for a heavyweight fight is never something, especially when it's uh, juiced to a, to a favorite price, is really not something I'm looking for. 
Um, if I had to play something, I think Parisian by decision at plus 300 is interesting just because uh, I think that Martinez really is durable and I don't really see Parisian finishing him, although I do think that Parisian has a little bit more output. Uh, so, you know, for that, I will say that Parisian, I think that plus 300 by decision definitely carries a little bit of value if I had to touch this fight. Um, and again, the over is the only other play that I feel like makes sense. But then when you look at minus 110 on it, uh, it does kind of stray me away. So ultimately, I'm gonna I'll probably have a little bit of Parisian by decision just for fun when I'm watching the fight. Uh, but again, this is a fight that I, I genuinely don't have a really good read on. So uh, I'll defer to the other experts in uh, in John and Christian. Yeah, John. So we got Josh Priest in eight of his thirteen victories coming by first round knockout. He only actually has one win by decision. Uh, last time around, he goes to decision against uh, Park Reporter, but it seemed like he was really fading in the second and third rounds. Do you think he's able to fix those issues from his last fight if this fight is extended? And uh, do you ultimately think he gets his hand raised here over the 0-2 uh, Rocky Martinez? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely his fight to lose. That's for sure. Like Rocky Martinez, I think is is a total bum. Uh, only reason this dude's in the UFC is because they needed a piece of meat to feed to uh, Alexander Romanov, your boy. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I, I think he's he's pretty garbage, um, super low volume. Yes, I agree with Felix. He's durable. And I actually kind of like that uh, Parisian by decision. If I had to make a play on this fight, I think that would be it just because Parisian is like, like in hindsight, I think I think the money line could be good too, right? Because in hindsight, we might just be looking back at this fight, like how was Roque Martinez close to evens against anybody with a pulse, like it, in the UFC? And Parisian, yeah, on the flip side, like to counter that, like why is the line where it's at? Well, that's what happens when you let Porkchop Porter like outpoint you for 15 minutes. And obviously the, the cardio didn't look great, which I know people have already mentioned, but you know, you look at his IG, it seems like he's in the gym working on his cardio. So I actually, I, I, to answer your question, Locke, I do think he at least looks better in terms of the cardio than the last fight. And that was a super um, high paced fight for heavyweight too. Like there was a lot of strikes landed on both sides in that matchup. So I just think he's gonna do a lot more than Rocky Martinez. Martinez, super hittable, uh, agree, he is durable. Been knocked out twice, but one was the doctor stoppage and the other one was like 10 years ago in the fourth or, I think the fourth round. Um, so yeah, I just trust Parisian to win the first round at a pretty high clip and maybe not necessarily knock him out, but just do enough. And then probably uh, a little bit less in the second, but bank those first two rounds. That way, if he does end up gassing again, probably gets his hand raised in a sloppy heavyweight decision. So I think Parisian's the side, uh, maybe take a stab at Parisian by decision with my guy Felix. But uh, but yeah, that, that'd be the way I'd attack this fight feel like I'm going to be on another island over here, but I am going to be on the Roki Martinez side in terms of him going out there and possibly winning the second and third rounds. And I kind of feel like he is almost a carbon copy of Parker Porter with less volume. That's that's the only issue, right? Parker Porter, pretty good Muay Thai, like for, you know, all things considered, pretty good Muay Thai and is able to put together some solid combinations with kicks and stuff, whereas Roki Martinez is a little bit more slower paced, uh, less volume as well. So that is a little bit of a concern. But I think the the durability of Roki Martinez will shine through here. And I think that Parisian will start to, I, I, I don't 100% believe that, 
Uh, like until I see it in the cage, I'm not going to be convinced that somebody has fixed the cardio issues or the conditioning. And it, you could be right. Like it could come through and it could uh, happen. Like the only time that I've truly seen a fighter fix his conditioning from one fight to another, the one that really stands out to me the most is Darren Stewart. When he went out there and gassed heavily against Julian Marquez and then his next fight comes back and goes a solid three rounds. Like that's the only time where I've truly seen it. There might be other options, but it just doesn't, uh, it's not coming to my mind as of right now. But I do think that uh, Parisian will throw a lot of bombs and power at Roki Martinez early in this fight. I think Martinez will walk through it. Uh, my concern is if Parisian does get this fight down, gets that full mount and really starts to rain down the punches on Martinez. But we've seen Martinez in that spot against a much tougher opponent in Alexander Romanov. And for some reason, he's still able to block those shots, keep bucking his hips to keep Alexander Romanov unstable on top and then eventually survive that first round. But unluckily for him, Romanov is still able to go out there continuously, uh, smash him to the to the ground and 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 uh, ragdoll him the way that he did. I just don't think that Parisian has that in him. I think that, uh, you know, the first two fights that Roki Martinez had inside the UFC, we already talked about the Romanov side of things, but the Dante Maze is a, a stick and move type of game plan that I don't don't think that Parisian is going to be successful in, in in replicating. He's more of a, in my opinion, like a. Sometimes, if he wants to be flashy, spinning spinning back fists and all that type of stuff, he can do that. But more so, he he seems to be. I don't want to say applauding heavyweight, but somebody that throws just a ton of power into his shots. And if he's not able to get you out of there, you know, something that he's been successful in uh, in at least 80 to 85% of his fights in terms of knocking out his opponents, I think it starts to wear on him a little bit, which is where I think his opponents will be able to take over. And, and I'm expecting that with uh, Roki Martinez here. Now, I'm not like, you know, running to the betting window to put money on Roki Martinez in this spot, but I am slightly intrigued by his decision prop, which I think currently sits in that uh, plus 300 range. Uh, one thing I'm sure that pretty much all of us can agree upon and we'll get to christian right after i'm done wrapping this thing up but uh the over one and a half i know it's juiced minus 200 seems like it's going to come through both guys are quite durable especially early on in their fights but uh roki martinez to win by decision is the one that i'm kind of eyeing and that's currently sitting at uh, plus 310 i don't mind that uh line at all I, I might take a little bit of a sprinkle on it so i'm on the martinez side christian you you bringing that boat over here or, or are you going to stick with these guys with uh with the uh, josh Prezi inside <sighs> Well, I'll tell you what. Let, let me. Uh, this is an ode to my my guy Brian. This fight stinks. It's, it's terrible. It's like the yeah. Um, I love low level heavyweight fights. It's actually where I make like that's some of like my best like long shot money. It's just but tightly lined low level heavyweight fights. It's like I don't like. You know, it's it's like you know, it's essential. Like I should have brought a coin and just flipped it, but I did pick. Uh, I did pick Martinez. I mean, it's size ver like versus technique ish, like some technique, and just I mean, like the you know the size difference. It's a lot. Um, see, like I said, I love low level heavyweight. I'm taking Rook. I didn't spend a whole lot of time on this. I'm gonna be honest. I mean, it's. Just yeah, flip a coin at home. But yeah, I got Martinez. The fight stinks, and I am playing the under one and a half. So I am on mm -hmm. an I am on an island. <laughs> but it's just like it's like you know, it's I'll sprinkle it. Like like Felix was saying, I'll toss this into like I'll toss the under at plus two hundred one ninety into a parlay like with something else later on. Just if just a hope for some slobber knocker, and I don't think it's gonna happen. I think all you guys broke it down perfectly. The fight stinks and. Yeah, I'd probably go to decision, but I, you know, just contrarian betting. I think if the under hits here, I think it will surprise a lot of the betting community who actually put time into this matchup. But still, uh, I, I don't mind a plus money shot if you see a little bit of value in it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got 
Uh, we got Matt Samuelsberger going up against Chaos Williams, another fight that I'm very intrigued to hear everybody's take on. And uh, in terms of odds, we're currently seeing uh, Chaos Williams at minus 140 and plus 120-ish on the Samuelsberger side of things. John, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off. Who are you liking the hard-hitting Chaos Williams, or do you think that Samuelsberger continues to improve and goes out there and beats Chaos? Yeah, this is one that I probably don't don't really have a strong take on. I think it's a high variance fight. I think both guys could win by knockout. Obviously, Chaos Williams has a little bit more knockout power, especially early on. Um, a few first round knockouts here before uh, Michelle, Michelle Perea kind of exposed him a little bit his last time out. But uh, but yeah, I think Williams is probably the more technical striker as well. Got a little bit more power. Uh, Semmelsberger is is not so much technical, but he's super aggressive. So like, I, I definitely think he's going to come forward, uh, which, which could be to his own detriment. We'll see. But I, I think he's live for a knockout too. Like he's, he's got decent power. Uh, theoretically, I think he'd have a wrestling edge here. Not sure if he'll use that, but, uh, but yeah, it's kind of just a high variance fight where I think, I think it likely ends by knockout on either side. I'll, I'll lean towards Chaos Williams just because I think he's a little bit more technical, a little sharper, and a little bit more durable as well. But uh, overall, this is probably one of my, my least confident reads on this one. But we'll go with uh, Chaos Williams by knockout. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the Summersberger side here, but like ever so slightly. Like I, I do agree with you that I think that Chaos Williams probably has more power and he has the durability going for him because I've definitely seen him eat some heavy, heavy shots from his prior opponents and still keep chugging forward. Whereas Summersberger has been finished, I believe, on, on the regional scene by William Knight and even uh, uh, I want to say as six or seven fights ago. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember the fellow's name, but it's not coming off the top of my head. Regardless, I do think that we see, you know, uh, improvements from Samuelsberger, though. I do think that uh, ultimately when these guys' careers pan out, I think Samuelsberger will be the more complete and better fighter. Uh, I, I think he has better combinations. Uh, I think his blitzes, blitzing attacks are pretty effective, but he's going to have to be very worrisome in terms of the power that's going to be coming back his way with chaos here. Excuse me. And one of the big question marks that I do have about Cass is in terms of his his the the sustainability of his power, right? The majority of his victories are coming in the first round. He has one win in the second round, uh, which was a second fight against a two and five opponent. Uh, and he does have a couple of decision victories, but I truly believe that it was due to the lack of fight IQ from the opponents that he was fighting. The Jeremy Holloway fight, you know, I believe Holloway had certain moments in there where he could have taken advantage of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Chaos Williams that I believe is starting to slow down. Um, but, you know, slips up. I believe he fell on his back and Chaos Williams was able to, you know, kind of uh, outpoint him for the majority of that third round. Uh, but in terms of Semmelsberger, like I said, uh, I believe he's coming from a football brand background initially and when he started off in the uh, MMA world he started with the wrestling base but more often than not when you see him fighting it's actually mainly striking but I'm expecting him to pull out the singlet for this fight if he wants to be successful because he's going to have to keep uh, Mr. Uh, Chaos Williams on the on the edge of his seat in terms of what's coming his way, right? That's how you kind of nullify the power that's coming your way is kind of make that opponent gun shy, you know, change levels, throw combinations, you know, get off the center line, all that type of stuff. If Summersberger is successful in doing that and can evade that power shot in that first round, I think this fight uh, is his to win. So if this fight gets out of that first round, I truly believe that uh, Summersberger is way more alive to eventually get a decision victory here. 
Now, I'm seeing a lot of people, like even John mentioned, that uh, the KO is probably uh, is a possibility on the Semmelsberger side of things. But again, I'm going to chalk it up to uh, the, the durability of chaos. I do think that he'll be able to eat the shots of Semmelsberger in this fight. But I do think that he's going to start wearing the damage. And that's ultimately where the judges are going to see uh, or what the judges will see. And I, I find it hard that if this fight does go 50 minutes, that chaos ones will be able to keep up with the, uh, the output and the volume that Semmelsberger is going to bring to the table here. So the spot that I like is chaos. Or, sorry. Uh, uh, Mr. Samuelsberger, I'm going to be taking him by decision, which I currently think is sitting around that plus 300 range as well. Uh, so I'll be taking a little bit of a sprinkle there too. Christian, hit us with that fire. You think Chaos gets this done earlier or you think Samuelsberger gets it done? Oh, yeah. John and I are on the same page. KO or bust. I got round one KO. I mean, if not, I lose. But that's like, yeah, I'm going to bet it that way too. Um, I don't think I'm even going to mess with the straight bet on this one. Either. I mean, I'll probably do a little bit on round one and then the majority over on just the knockout. Yeah, that's the way I see it. Um, this will surprise a lot of people too that I'm picking against Semmelsberger. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that shit flow. Look at that shit flow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I think, yeah, my nuts say I'm willing to roll the dice. Like, I, you know, Semmelsberger's young. He's beaten Wit and Carlton Minus. I used to live in Alaska. I've watched Alaska FC events live. It's like, uh, yeah. How did you not fall asleep? <laughs> that, no, it's fun. It's fun. It's like, you know, it's like when bum fights first came out. <laughs> um, throwback. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think he has the experience. I'm worried about, like, you know, he gets in there with, a, I mean, Chaos Williams is a big, intimidating dude. And I wonder how his fight IQ will be, you know, when he get if he does get clipped, is, you know, is he going to brawl? I mean, you know, he's a young dude, inexperienced dude. And, I don't know. Like it's so many of these are like narrative based. I just it's like I have to go to the narratives because I don't like the numbers are hard to work with because there's not a lot of them. But I mean the you know the best opponent on either. I think um, Michelle Pajeda is the best opponent, and that fight was you know it stunk, but it was close. So yeah, I'm gonna you know MMA math, I guess. But I got chaos, and I got him by round one knockout. All right, uh, Felix, I actually, I truly think that there's going to be a cap on Chaos Williams' career because I don't truly think that his athleticism and his power will only get him so far. The question remains whether Samuelsberger actually fits that category of guys that are going to be able to overcome those disadvantages that disadvantages that they'll have going into this fight with Chaos. But uh, how do you see this fight going down? Do you think Samuelsberger pulls the upset or do you think that Chaos Williams gets the knockout? I'm actually uh, really on your side with this, Locke. I think that... Um... I've, I, I, I'm going to bet Semmelsberger straight up and by decision as well. Um, I actually had that written right down uh, on my on my sheet. But I think that for me, it's like one of my favorite things in MMA betting period is getting underdogs against guys that are really not that proven to or to be just one dimensional. Um, for me, as we kind of talked about, you know, chaos is to quote to quote uh, Cody Saftig. He he might have the death touch. Um, he might not. Uh, it's shown that he does have significant power. Um, but for me, when I'm betting, uh, first of all, I'm never going to touch a favorite who just had, who's one dimensional. I just personally would rather pass on that. Um, I do, I am more intrigued when I get uh, a, a fairly significant or, you know, a, an underdog uh, with also significant underdog props um, against someone who really only has one method of winning. And kind of like what you were saying, I mean, for me, when there's too many question marks, uh, I think that I'd rather have the better output, the bigger guy, the wrestling advantage, um, and the guy who, if he survives one singular round, is very likely to win the, the fight. Um, so for me, it's like, 
yeah, I'll be okay if I lose. If chaos goes out there and knocks a guy out um, in the or knocks a guy out in the first round, um, I'll be okay with with sitting with sitting on that L. But for me, it's like if we get past the first round, I'll be very happy to have a plus three hundred ticket um, sitting as a decision prop or a plus one thirty ticket as a um, as a straight up uh, play. So for me, it's Semmelsberger plus one thirty five plus three hundred by decision. Uh, I just think that, you know, imagine Semmelsberger goes out there and wins the first round. I mean, then, then you're, if you're chaos Williams, you're kind of in a world of trouble, you know, cause, um, you know, you haven't really proven that you can, uh, make a late surge. I don't think he, that Semmelsberger finishes, um, chaos Williams. He's never been finished as a pro chaos has. Uh, so, you know, and I, and just from his previous fights, he can take a punch. Um, so give me a semi, the Jedi plus 300 by decision plus 135 straight up and uh you know i can live to see another day if if uh chaos goes out there and starches him in 30 seconds now i'm just going to throw this out there i there is a chance that i could hit there's a chance that i could not summers only has one submission victory on his record i still have question marks about what chaos Williams has off of his back dealing with a guy that has a, a, a grappling advantage over him and if i'm not mistaken summers is training out of a gym that is more grapple heavy based so i wouldn't be surprised to see him go out there and try to notch a plus 1000 submission for us degenerates who will want to take a little bit of a sprinkle on that which i probably will end up doing but i do think the most likely outcome if summers does win is probably going to come via decision but it's hard to pass up those four-digit plus money spots if you think that there is some credence there. All right, let's move on to the next fight here, one that I'm very excited about, probably the one that I'm second most excited about. We got Verna Janiroba going up against Kanako Murata. In terms of odds, we got uh, Murata coming in at plus 115 and uh, minus 130-ish we're getting for Verna Janiroba. And I'll kick this one off for you guys. I I I'm a little bit stumped in terms of how this one's going to play out. Obviously, like... We have Murata with the Olympic freestyle wrestling style, Janderoba with the BJJ and black belt. And this is probably the toughest BJJ black belt that Murata has had to go up against. But we are seeing improvements from her, in, especially since her first ever uh, loss, where she, or her first and only loss against former UFC fighter Renikai back in Risen, back in, I want to say, five years ago, five or six years ago at this point in time. But it seemed like she was a very one-dimensional fighter back then. Just desperation takedowns, no hands, no striking. Literally desperation to the point that uh, Nakai was able to, to, um, to nullify the takedown attempts and then just take get the back almost immediately. And then uh, eventually the second time she got the back in the third round, she was able to uh, sink in that rear naked choke and get the tap there. But since then, we're seeing a gradual improvement in terms of the confidence that Murata actually has in her hands. And we are seeing some uh, her have a good amount of success. Now, it doesn't blow off the page or anything like that in terms of her striking ability and the ability to potentially knock her opponents out. And neither does it from Chandaroba either. Like, both girls leave a lot to be desired in the striking realm. They seem to get their best work done, especially when the fight hits the ground. Now, the spot that I like the most, that I made my big play already, I have four units on the over two and a half in this fight, as I, at minus 200, as I do believe that both their grappling uh, prowesses will cancel each other out. But I truly think that it's going to be on Murata in terms of deciding where this fight play, play, takes place. I do believe that she'll be able to stop the takedown attempts of Janderoba. And I do think that if she wants to get this fight to the ground, she'll be able to do so. Uh, but if she wants to keep it a striking fight, again, neither woman is, <clears throat> is really that great in the striking realm. So I think it's almost a 50-50 fight if it remains a striking battle for the majority of it and we do have plenty of times where we have a grappler versus grappler and it ends up being a striking fight for 15 minutes i actually end up i do end up seeing uh murata you know striking for a little bit and then eventually getting this fight to the ground as i do believe that janderoba you know albeit a bjj black belt i don't think she's as good off of her back as she is when she's in that top position and i think that's going to cause her some issues here last thing i'll say about uh murata yes there has been times in past fights where she has found herself 
you know, getting into an armbar position or something like that. But she stays relatively calm, cool, and collected and just waits for a moment to, you know, uh, bust out of it or explode out of those situations. And I think the same will be here against Jandaroba. Now, again, Janderoba, toughest BGJ black belt artist she's faced to this point. So maybe Janderoba will be able to take advantage of that, which is why I think that if you are hitting the over two and a half, if you want a little bit of insurance in terms of that does crash, I think the only way this fight ends up finishing is if Janderoba snatches up a submission of some sort. But I think that the strength and the wrestling prowess of, <clears throat> excuse me, of Murata is actually going to shine through here. And I think she'll be able to grind out of Janderoba over uh, 15 minutes, and I think she's going to take home a decision victory. So in terms of an actual line on that, Murata by decision is currently sitting at plus 175. I'll have some action on that on top of the over two and a half in this fight. Christian, how do you feel like this fight's going to go down? <clears throat> I like you. I love this fight. I'm so excited for it. It reminds me, like brings me back to original UFC, like, you know, one, two, three, four, like style versus style. This is, you know, one of the best women wrestlers in the world and you know, at least in this division, one of the best BJJ players. Um, like they're both so elite at what they do. And I hope it doesn't end up being a striking match. That's like, you know, it's always the worry when you have kind of two, you know, two fighters that are super like super elite in a certain area. Um, you know, Verna's gonna be the best striker that Murata's ever faced. <laughs> I think like just that was that's my personal opinion. Looking back on it, I was like, huh. I was like, so I would assume that she kind of has the striking advantage, which makes me, it makes me lean that way in a very close fight. I mean, if Murata just takes, like, I always take wrestling over BJJ. It's like my betting, like, always goes to that. I mean, maybe it's my, when I lost all the money on Grundy a few weeks ago <laughs> to Arosa, I'm, or uh, not Arosa, Veneta. I'm like, I'm reeling it back and I'm like, okay, so maybe my strategy's off. But so I, I felt this was the hardest fight on the card for me to pick um i love the fight i'm going or janji doba isn't that how annex says it that's yeah i don't get that yeah it's, it, there's an r it, yeah. it's either be roba or hoba because she's brazilian but whatever yeah um so yeah love the fight um you know even i mean even if Murata gets on top it's I just, it's this kind of like a fight we have coming up later where I'm like, do you even want to be on top of this person? Cause you're, you're in a lot of danger. Um, so I just, I do think that Janjaroba is a, a superior striker and that's like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, obviously Veronica wrestle fucker for three rounds and I just, it, but if that happens, like she's on her back and that's where, you know, she doesn't mind being. So yeah, I lean that way. Um, I'm super excited to see how it plays out. Um, not a, like, you know, I'm leaning that way. Uh, I bet every single fight. So like, I'll, I'll put something on it, but, uh, You're leaning on the Murata side. Yeah. No, I'm leaning on the Jandaroba side. Jandaroba side. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's but like, yeah, I probably sound like I was crossing paths cause it is that close to me. It's, it was the last one I circled. Perfect. Felix, uh, how are you feeling about this? So we got wrestling going up against jujitsu. Who do you think comes out on the winning end this time? I'm personally, whenever I see a wrestler against uh, a BJJ specialist, I'm always going to side with the wrestler, assuming that they have some kind of uh, BJJ level, because I just think that in MMA, um, if your name isn't Paul Craig, then getting a sub from the bottom is usually fairly difficult um, and something that happens uh, not – or. You, you don't get subbed more more often than not. You're not going to get subbed if you're on top um, as a wrestler that's that has some kind of ground game. So I'm going to take Murata. I actually like that Murata by decision. 
plus 175 that you were talking about. I was going to, I had that written down as well. Um, a slight dog plus 110, you know, I'll probably have that, uh, a fair share of that. I just think that Verna, you know, has really just kind of her only path really after she gets taken down is really to throw up that sub and kind of hope that it, that it lands and she's capable of it. Of course. Um, she's definitely got that kind of level to do so, but, um, you know, at plus 110, when you know a girl has legitimate wrestling and is likely going to be on top, uh, sometimes all it takes is uh, at one takedown per round, and you do that two rounds, and you already and you have a victory easily right there. I do think that this goes over. I don't really see any of them finishing. So if you're looking to get a little bit of juice, um, the decision prop is is there. If you're on Verna, I don't really know how you can bet the decision. Just that's just my opinion. Um, I don't really see how she would get the decision. Her striking is terrible. Um, this is probably going to be on the ground. So, uh, and usually judges don't favor you if you're on the bottom. So, um, for me, it's Murata by decision plus 175. I, again, don't think she's going to finish either. Uh, I don't really think she has that kind of finishing ability, especially when you're talking about someone as uh, elite on the ground, even if she's just taking uh, not really that much of a, a hellacious beating. Um, she'll still know what to do to, to not get finished, uh, Verna will. So for me, it's, uh, it's a pretty straightforward play. Um, you know, you just kind of hope that you know, I think that's one of those plays that you'll find out about two minutes into round one, how it'll turn out. If Murata gets an easy takedown, you'll feel like the smartest person in the world. And, uh, you know, kind of like a Carla Esparza kind of vibe where, uh, you know, if Carla gets you down, you're like, yep, that's Carla. You know, she's plus 115 and she's going to look like she was minus 500. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping as a Murata better. Um, but that's where my head's up. I like it, John. I'm going to tee you up with this one. Normally we see women's over two and a half heavy juice, right? Minus 300, minus 350, minus 400 in some cases. And I feel like the reason that it's at minus 200 or around that range for this fight is that if you if the odds makers just look at the records of these fighters, they see a bunch of subs and TKOs and ground account victories. But those will occur more often than not in fights where the skill discrepancy is massive, right? Obviously, you're going to see Verna Jandy Rubble go out there and submit Felice Herrig and Mallory Barton and those types of levels. But then when they fight somebody like a Carla Esparza, it's a lot more difficult for them to actually find a, a submission or a finish of some sort which is why i think that they're like oh bunch of finishes this will probably end up in a finish but i think that's where they're wrong which is why we're only getting around minus 200 in a fight that will more than likely go to a decision so i'm going to tee you up by saying one do you agree with the over two and a half line being where it's at and two obviously who do you think ends up coming out victorious yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I think the over is a good look here. Um, I think with betting the over, you're pretty much just fading uh, Jan Deroba's submission because I don't think Murata, you know, I mean, I guess she could not somebody could knock somebody out, but I'd be pretty pretty surprised. And I don't think she's going to submit uh, Jan Deroba. So I think pretty much all the finishing equity comes on the Jan Deroba side. So I think the over is pretty good at minus two hundred or whatever you got it at. Um, and uh, Felix mentioned, you know. It, it you don't see the wrestlers get submitted too much on top, but I'm getting serious PTSD from Bartos <laughs> Fabinski because I bet that dude in literally like every single fight and it just constantly happens. So if you see me going like that for the rest of the show, it's just because I'm I'm bringing back all my Bartos Fabinski bad bets. Uh, but but yeah, I, I tend to agree with him though. Like I'm almost always going to bet the person who I expect to have 
dominant position. And I do think Murata, her wrestling, you know, she's a former judo champion. I believe she was a bronze medalist at the Olympics. Uh, you know, her wrestling's legit. There's no doubt about it. She's also just very physical. I know she's going to be a little bit smaller, but she's just very, very strong. And we see it all the time. Physicality plays a long way in the lower, uh, you know, the lower weight class of the women's MMA. So just that physicality being the stronger fighter combined with the technique, the high level wrestling background, I think she will be able to land takedowns here. It's just, she has to mind her P's and Q's not to get caught in a submission. And I think, I think she could do that, but at the same time, like, you know, it is, it is concerning to back her at like, you know, close to evens. I know she's a small dog, but because we have seen her be submitted on the regional scene, we have also seen her like caught in an arm bar for like five or six minutes before. And she, she ended up fight, fighting out of it. But those are concerns when this is probably the toughest test she's ever faced before. Um, Cause I do respect the uh, ground game of Jandaroba as well. So, uh, so yeah, like you guys, I, I think I lean with the dog here, but uh Hopefully we don't just see like a 15 minute striking match, but I don't, I don't think we will. I think, uh, I think this fight hits the mat and uh, we'll go with the dog in a close fight in Murata by decision. I like it. I like it. All right, let's keep this thing moving along. We got uh, Nick Negamariano going up against Alexa Kamor. Uh, uh, Negamariano coming off a very a long layoff. I believe the last time we saw him was March of 2019 where he took a loss to Saperbeg Safarov. And in terms of odds, we're getting minus 230. Uh, Alexa Kamor is the biggest favorite on the card and plus 210 is the return on Nikolai Negamariano. Uh, Christian, I'm actually going to let you want, kick this one off. Who do you think takes this light heavyweight matchup? Alexa Kamer. <laughs> <laughs> Nega Mariano's strength of schedule is abysmal. The worst I may have, I'm one of the worst I've ever seen. I was just about to pull it up because I know it only take me a few seconds to count his total amount of wins. <laughs> or his, his opponent's wins. Like that should just pulled on ESPN. Whatever. It's horrible. Atrocious. Like the guy has never, he's never fought anybody. He's coming off of two years off. I mean, it, it, I, when I was thinking about today, I'm like, this guy coming back is probably going to get his leg kicked once, is going to get his calf kicked like Connor, and be like, whoa, I didn't know that. What is that? I'm not familiar with that. Like, I, I mean, I don't think Kamer is any good. I think Negu Mariano Mar is that bad. Yeah, it's I, like, you know, it's like I know Kamer lost to – Safarov, you know, that was a weird fight. I mean, it's got his ass beat, the cage grabs, this and that. Safarov would send, we'll just call Nick home in a body bag. Like, I, I, it's weird because it's like they're kind of unknown. So it's like, I, I think the line is fairly accurate on it. I, this is one of those fights. Like, I, I do love low level fights, but with like all this time off and, so many unknowns uh, you know it's i'll get heavy into my betting parts of it later i just didn't spend a lot of time like telling people what to bet on this i think came roll in i wouldn't parlay him i but i wouldn't i don't bet minus 240 straight i'm more like the middle lock not the new school or the or the old school i'm the middle one parlays props and yeah that's <laughs> plus money all so right. yep yeah yeah came to win I, I don't like this fight at all I don't blame you. Felix, how are you feeling about uh, Nega Mariano coming back after an extended layoff and going up against the prospect and Alexa Kamor? All right, first, I'm going to just call him Nick because there's no chance I'm going to pronounce that last name correctly. <laughs> I don't um, blame you. 
<laughs> Second, I want to uh, right before I was watching this uh, or before I was tuning into to stream tonight, I saw uh, John and Jonah's. Um, I have to give a shout out to Jonah and flame the shit out of him as I said I would. Um, I saw his their little break uh, the breakdown of this fight um, and Jonah to his credit he says some dumb shit but he did make a good point that um, the the combined record of all of uh, Nicolay's opponents is eleven and fifty which I hadn't done the math but shout Jesus. out to Jonah for doing that. Um, it is pretty bad. I will say though, I never in my life will I ever touch Kamer at minus two fifty. Um, I just think he's still very green. Uh, he's a fairly good athlete, decent boxer, um, but you know I still don't trust him in the slightest. Um, I do think if you are on the Kamer side, plus one forty by decision is a little bit more interesting than minus two fifty. Uh, but I know that, and I'll hand it off to John in a second that he's all over. Nikolay, sorry to spoil your spoil the party, but I just I based on that clip I had seen it. But I actually do think that if you're on that side, I think that also five to one by decision is also pretty interesting because I don't see him finishing Kamer. Um, so that might be a sprinkle because I just have no good read or good things to say about this fight. Um, but again, I think that uh, I'm just really not sold on Kamer, and I will never, you know, I mean, if Kamer was at minus one forty or you know, based off the, the lack of experience and the lack of quality of opponents of Nicolay, then maybe you want to take an, you want to take a, a swipe at it. But again, I think the price is too steep. Um, you know, depending if, if I want to have a little fun in this, maybe I'll throw a little, a little coin on uh, Nicolay, uh, Nicolay by decision at five to one. But other than that, it'll be a, a straight pass for me. All right, John, it seems like your co-host Jonah doesn't want you talking about this fight, but that's what you're here for. So drop that fucking knowledge. How are you feeling this fight is going to go down between Nega Mariano and uh, Alexa Kimor? Yeah, so it's possible I lose some credibility with this one. This is definitely my spiciest take of the card, and this is actually probably my, probably my hottest take in the past couple months. So I played uh, Nikolai for two units at plus 198. I also played it for half a unit by submission at plus 850. And uh, I, you, you'll, you'll just never be able to convince me that Alexa Kamer is going to look minus 250 in this fight. Like, obviously, there's concerns on both sides. It's low-level stuff. But that doesn't mean there's not an edge here. Like, Nikolai, yes, he looked terrible in his debut. But let's not forget, like, uh, you know, he, yes, he's, he's fought a bunch of cans. He's a former Romanian wrestler, uh, wrestling champion. And he does have a little bit of BJJ background as well. Uh, maybe he would have been able to threaten with that against Safarov if he wasn't constantly holding on to the cage. So I, I do think that is the biggest edge in this fight is he's going to be the better wrestler, the much better grappler. Alexa Kamer, like everybody is talking about the cans that Nikolai has fought. Like Alexa Kamer is not good. And anybody that has been paying attention has known that fading hyped up Dana White contender series guys has been an absolute gold mine over the past year. And I don't think that changes here because regardless of how bad Nikolai is, he has a clear wrestling advantage. He has a clear grappling advantage. We saw Kamer taken down four times by William Knight, and it wasn't any sort of technical takedowns. Like he's literally just muscling him to the ground. Like he's doing basic like sweeps and trips to get him there. Like I, I just don't think the defensive wrestling is there. I think Nikolai's going to land takedowns here, and I think if he does land takedowns here, then he has a much better shot than the ten percent odds would imply that he does find a submission. And on top of that, like, yes, the long layoff's concerning, but 
he's been in the gym. Like, look at him on IG. He's he's snapping up picks with uh, Hamzat Chemaev. Like, he's he's working on stuff. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some improvements here too. And the other thing is like, yes, Nikolai's fought all cans, but Alexa Kamer, like, what's his best win? Like, maybe Justin Ledet, a one-dimensional boxer who has absolutely nothing else and you know shout out to jonah uh me and felix said we'd uh we'd talk a little shit about him so he he brought up on our podcast uh over at ftn you know uh that camer beat uh chanel or however you say his name yeah sharon so on dana white contender series and like he's in the ufc that's a respectable win sharon is like like his fight coming into that against Alexa Kamer, his combined record of dudes he beat was two and nine, and he didn't shoot a single takedown in that fight. And he rocked Kamer before he got dropped with the knee. Like, I, I, I don't really weigh that at all. I think styles make fights, and I think we have a clear advantage wrestler, advantage grappler, so I'm just embracing the variance that, yes, we have a young guy who's probably made some improvements, who's been working hard, who I think is the better wrestler and grappler. So I'm going to take the dog shot at two to one on my money and hope that, uh, that Nikolai comes through for me. And, and if I look stupid, then so be it. But I'm, I'm going to take the value in Nikolai. I'll never rag on anybody for taking a big dog shot. Felix, you got something to interject? Yeah, I have a feeling that if Nikolai's going to win this fight, he's going to look, it's going to look like the line was reversed. Yeah. Um, and I think that John might look like a genius if that's the case. Um, but I do think that like it's one of those scenarios. Uh, it was one thing that I forgot to add is that when you see a guy uh, come back or you haven't seen him in a couple years, um, especially a young guy, and you're going up against someone who's really green in a lot of departments, um, this does has the does this does have the potential of looking like in a 2020 hindsight, like I should have put my life savings on it. So um, I think that John, at the end of the night, you'll either look like a, a genius or not. But um, I'd rather be on the on the plus 200 if I'm gonna take a shot on something like that yeah i i could absolutely see a situation here where john does look not look like an absolute genius uh in terms of picking him and, and i see that he's almost even swaying me in terms of taking a shot of freaking nega mariano in this type of spot but uh I, I will say there is that narrative out there that people like to fade guys that have a very flat ufc debut especially against a guy like sapper bank safaroff that's obviously not even in the ufc anymore a lot of people were kind of downplaying his skill set so to have a loss to him a lot of people will automatically write you off but like that happens so often right like like um uh, parker porter goes out there and gets knocked out by tom aspinall everybody writes him off he pulls off a big uh, upset victory in his next fight jay collier same thing comes back and even though both of those losses you know uh, to, to tom aspinall comes back and beats gian volante obviously volante not as skilled of a fighter but that we have to stop doing that thing where we just completely write off a guy just because of their one ufc loss no matter who it's up against right uh but i ultimately still i'm going to be on the alexa kmore side i do think that he will actually go out there and get the better of the grappling exchanges. I, I just, I need to see Nega Mariano prove himself a little bit more just on the Kamora side as well, which is why I'm not even going to be touching this fight with my money. I don't want to put uh, Kamora into parlays or anything like that. Oh, excuse me. I don't want to put Kamora into parlays or anything like that uh, just because I do believe he still has a lot to prove out there, right? A lot of guys are putting so much 
hype on him just because he's coming out of strong style where Stipe trains and all that. And a lot of people are thinking that he's going to be able to achieve similar success to what Stipe was able to. But like at heavyweight, you can get away with, you know, because it's just such a shallow division compared to wherever uh, light heavyweight, which probably just as shallow, but has a little bit more talent to bring to the table here. But uh, yeah, I find it hard to justify why you're going to go out there and bet uh, Kamura at minus 240, minus 250 in this spot. The spot that I actually like is the overs in this fight. I do think that we'll see, uh, you know, this kind of drag out you know both guys kind of just leaning on each other some clinch positions some grappling the over two and a half is sitting at minus 150 that's the spot that i like um but yeah i think that kamor is just going to get the better of those positions uh but i could absolutely be wrong i would rather be on john kelly's side with that plus 200 ish on uh nega marianu rather than that minus 250 on camera but uh i'll be the square over here i'll be the resident square and i'll take camera to win this fight by decision uh in terms of what that prop actually looks like we got uh Kamor at plus 150 via decision but even the again the over two and a half at minus 150 i think that hits no matter who ends up winning this fight all right let's move on to the next fight here we got uh, the main card and that's where i always want to remind you guys please do hit that like and subscribe and obviously obviously go help uh follow the guys that are on the panel as well we do have their twitter uh links linked in the description below so make sure you guys go click that you don't even have to type in their names just click the link and then hit follow trust me you're gonna really uh, thank me for doing that afterwards because they have a lot of knowledge and fun stuff to drop on you guys. All right, main card time. We got Diego Lima going up against the Immortal One, Matt Brown. In terms of odds, we got minus 170 on Diego Lima, plus 150-ish on the Matt Brown side of things. And Felix, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off, brother. Who do you think wins this fight? Um, I'll be honest. I don't have a great take on this. I mean, you're looking at a 40-year-old uh, Matt Brown who should probably retire. Can he finish Lima? Lima's known to not be the most durable guy on the planet. Sure, he can, um, but is a 40-year-old Matt Brown going to do so? Again, I don't really know. Plus 140 is not enough, really, for me to take that shot. Um, maybe if you're someone who feels like that could happen, then maybe take uh, you know Matt Brown in the in the distance um, or you know by TKO or whatever you want. Um, I think, you know, Lima used to kind of be a mockery at one point in time. Uh, he's gotten a little bit more legit. Uh, you know, his last his last time out against Bilal is nothing to to be ashamed of. Um, Bilal is legit um, and, you know, probably one of the most solid guys on the UFC roster. But, you know, who's really Lima's best win? Court McGee, Luke Jumo. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 15 and 8. Um, so I really want no shares of I will never bet uh, Lima at a at a favorite price in my entire life. Um, do I want plus 140 Matt Brown, 40 year old Matt Brown? Probably not either. So I think that the best uh, decision for me personally is a pass. If I had to pick though, I'm definitely going to go um, with Matt Brown just because he is the underdog. And I do think that he can get uh, an early finish. He used to have, uh, you know, kind of legendary cardio at one point in time. Um, that's no longer really the case. Uh, the Miguel Baeza fight was great. We know that Miguel Baeza is legit. Um, but again, I don't really think that, uh, I don't really think Lima's the side personally, but you know, maybe the other two will, uh, the other two experts will defer on this one, but give me Matt Brown. Uh, if I had to make a pick, uh, plus 140, um, is where I stand. Uh, John Diego Lima had a pretty stiff test after a year and a half layoff that he had taken coming in against Bilal Muhammad, who's obviously streaking at this point. Uh, do you think Lima is able to reverse his fortunes from his last fight, or do you think the old 40 year old Mr. Matt Brown is able to pull off the upset? 
Yeah, this is a this is an ugly fight for me. I'm kind of with Felix. I I don't I don't really see a case for betting Diego Lima at like minus one seventy five or whatever he's at. Um, I I guess he could probably kick Matt Brown's leg to a decision win here. I maybe that's that's what happens. Uh, Matt Brown I think is is live for a knockout. I think if if you're going to embrace that side of it, I think the way to target Matt Brown is by KO one because we've seen lately like his. Uh, his cardio is just really not there. Maybe through two rounds, he'll probably still carry a little bit of power as well. Diego Lima has been knocked out multiple times. You know, if that chin shows itself it's, again, then Matt Brown can certainly put him out. But, you know, I say it time and time again, I'm I'm not in the business of uh, putting hard, hard-earned American dollars on 40-year-old dudes in a cockfight. So, uh, so, yeah, it's a pass for me. I, I think Matt Brown does have knockout upside. But more than likely, Diego Lima probably stays alive, kicks his leg, wins wins a, a decision. But I think this is probably like the the least exciting fight of the card. But hopefully, I'm wrong. Maybe you guys could change my mind. Yeah, it, it could deliver in terms of entertainment value because Matt Brown, more often than not, in quite entertaining fights. But in terms of the who's facing this time in Diego Lima, Lima could try to slow this fight down to his pace where he's just kind of picking him apart from the outside. But like you said, John, I this is not a spot that I want to go out there and back a guy like Diego Lima at minus 170 against a Matt Brown who still seems to have some power in his hands, right? He showcased it in the Miguel Baeza fight, knocking the mouthpiece out of Miguel Baeza in one of those exchanges and was close to actually finishing him, but unfortunately comes up short. But this is not Miguel Baeza. This is Diego Lima, who's just, you know, quietly putting together a three-fight winning streak over guys like Court McGee and Luke Jumao. Uh, I can't re recall the first name off of that. But then goes out there and loses to Bilal Muhammad. But I'm going to chalk that up to a layoff and obviously the style of Bilal Muhammad, which is hard to deal with for a lot of fighters. And not to mention, it seemed like his cardio fell off a cliff in that second round. Uh, but I, I think that he'll be able to endure what Matt Brown is bringing to him. I did see somebody in the chat say uh, the kryptonite of Matt Brown is that body shot. It's been a long time since since we've seen him cripple uh, or get crippled from that body shot, but that definitely is still there if uh, Diego Lima wants to target the body. But something that we've seen him target time and time again is that calf kick. And if he's able to establish that uh, pretty efficiently here against Matt Brown, you know, we've seen it work uh, in the Miguel Baez fight as well. If Diego Lima could do even 50% of that, I think he'll have a solid amount of success here. And uh, I, I do think this fight actually goes over as well. I do think we see a decision here. And I do think it's going to be Diego Lima that ends up outpointing Matt Brown in this spot. But just like John, I'm very not confident in this spot. It's it's very difficult to truly see. This one and the Casey O'Neill fight truly have me scratch my head uh, in both of those fights. But I am going to go with the favorite here. No way am I putting my money on this. Definitely not. Even with fading a 40-year-old Matt Brown, uh, Diego Lima is just not that guy that I want to be doing it with. So I'm going Diego Lima and Diego Lima by decision. Christian, bring us on home. How are you feeling about this matchup? Man, I'm going to have to listen to this tomorrow and count the amount of times you guys said decision and I said knockout <laughs> because Matt Brown's coming in there with those Matt Brown elbows early. Like, you know, I, I always look at strength of schedule. You could call it like, you know, uh, MMA math or this or that. But, you know, Court McGee, actually in Court McGee, uh, Matt Brown would be a banger probably. <laughs> but <laughs> that's what he should be fighting. I don't think Diego Lima is really super skilled anywhere. He's doesn't have a glass jaw. It's more like uh, porcelain, a little bit stronger, but not much. Um, it hasn't shown itself lately, but yeah, because Bilal Muhammad doesn't knock out anybody. Luke Jumo doesn't knock out anybody. Court McGee hasn't finished anybody in two decades with some creative number work there, but yeah, I don't even know who C. Laprice is. I'm going to be honest with you guys. <laughs> so 
Um, yeah, I it was I, definitely an upset when that happened. That was for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's before I really, that's, that was right before I really got into the game. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, that vicious, like I, I, Matt Brown won that first round versus Carlos Condit, right? That's, I, and then he, that first round versus Baezzi almost finished him. And I, I think we're going to see Lima's jaw again, his porcelain jaw. And Brown turn it back to glass. I, yeah, I, I'm on. You guys are so much on the overs and decisions. It's like Brown like plus three seventy five or something by a knockout. And then John said, "Yeah, round one." It's like take it, like bet that. Even if you're betting, just take Diego Lima and Matt Brown. So All right. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Uh, my guy Christian is quite uh, indecisive regarding this matchup, but I don't blame him because it is a, a very difficult matchup to break down for sure. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, uh, Wellington Terman going up against Bruno Silva. Bruno Silva obviously coming off a USADA suspension before he even made his UFC debut in terms of odds. We are getting some love in on Terman. Uh, he's sitting at plus 120 and minus 140 ish is what, uh, or sorry, minus 130 ish is what Bruno Silva's sitting at. Uh, John, I'm actually going to get you to kick this one off. What do you think pulls off the victory here? Yeah, I think this is another good dog spot. I, I played uh, Wellington Terman at plus 126 for a unit and then half a unit by submission at plus 550. I think uh, I th like we, there's been a lot of chatter uh, through the FTN Discord and through uh, this other Discord that I'm a part of with Jonah, um, the uh, the uh, John Stargarian, that group, SWR. Um, Danny Lag, shout out to those guys. But there's been a lot of chatter this week about like, did people confuse this Bruno Silva with <laughs> the flyweight Bruno Silva? Because honestly, the line movement in this fight made no sense to me. Like uh, Wellington Tremont opened at like a minus 170 favorite on a bunch of books and all the Bruno Silva money came in. And this Bruno Silva, the middleweight Bruno Silva, Hasn't fought in like two and a half years. He's coming off a USADA suspension and he's kind of a front running KO1 guy or bust, in my opinion. So, and whereas Wellington Tremont, like, obviously didn't look good um, getting starched by uh, Andrew Sanchez. But aside from that, like, I, I don't think the kid's that bad. Like, he's pretty well rounded, black belt in Muay Thai, black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And we've seen, like, he's, he's gonna look to get the fight to the mat he's going to use that pressure that cage control peel the guy to the ground he has decent grappling as well i could see him doing that here against a guy who is super powerful like as much shit that i kind of talked on bruno silva he is very dangerous and he's very dangerous early in the fight i think 16 of his 19 wins have come by knockout the majority of those are in the first round and he does have some notable wins too it's not just all uh, it's not just all cans, you know, he's the former, uh, shout out to Nick in the chat says for uh, former M1 global champ. Uh, he beat, uh, uh, yeah, if I could say that right, uh, Frolov as well. So he's got a couple decent wins out there. Um, and, and that's the thing about him, right? Is he has dangerous power early in the fight. I just think that Terman is going to be able to wear on him. Um, he just has to avoid that early power and the grappling of Bruno Silva is a clear leak in his game. All of his losses have come by submission outside of one uh, DQ for an illegal strike. So I just think uh, Wellington Tremont has the wrestling, he has the grappling and he has the control. He's going to be able to control where this fight goes. So I like the dog shot plus 126 and then half a unit by submission at plus 550. 
I like it. I like it. And one thing that I do want to hammer home, especially about those Slamenko and Frolov wins, he was coming into those fights as a plus 490 and plus 450 underdog. So that just at least goes to show what people are thinking of him going into those fights. But he was able to pull off the upset. So that definitely has to count for something. But I do think that he's going to run into some trouble with Wellington Terman here. So I am on the John Kelly side of things here too, in terms of uh, Terman landing takedowns, being aggressive on top, uh, possibly working for submission. I don't mind that prop that you dropped on us. But I do ultimately think it's going to be him just grinding him out and then eventually winning this fight by decision. Uh, it is a little bit of a concern with him getting knocked out by Andrew Sanchez last time around, but I do think that he should be able to overcome that. I do think that we could see a slight, um, maybe a, a slight decline in the power of Bruno Silva in terms of whatever sauce that he was on before uh, coming over to the UFC. That could potentially play an issue here for him. Uh, maybe even with his cardio, who knows how that impacts him. And especially if anybody gets popped by USADA, right? A lot of it comes down to the confidence thing that a lot of these fighters have. They need that crutch of having that extra little bit in their system to tr tr you know push them over the edge. And if they don't have it anymore, then we probably see them start to falter. And I do think that we see that here in this fight against Bruno Silva. Um, uh, I, I do like the dog as well. Again, like I said, I think Terman grounds this fight more often. And I think he actually pulls off a decision. And I think his decision prop is actually quite uh, quite nice. It's sitting at uh, Terman by decision is plus 360. I like that spot a lot. I think that's a really good little sprinkle. If he's not able to pull off that submission, he'll more than likely at least grind this out over 15 minutes. I know, uh, I think Christian actually uh, pointed to it a little bit earlier, saying that he heard the word decision a lot. I have at least nine out of 12 of these fights going to decision. So I think it's going to be a long card. So make sure you guys strap yourselves in. So the pick for me is tournament by decision. Christian, I'll actually hand it off over to you. Do you think the knockout artist gets a knockout, gets his 17th knockout, or do you think that tournament grinds this fight out or possibly finds a dis uh, submission? Yeah, I don't think Bruno Silva is going to get a knockout coming off a of USADA suspension, whether it's the juice or the confidence. I think that's a really good point by you. It's, I mean, I haven't juiced, but I'm assuming you feel, you probably feel a little <laughs> bit. You could probably tell. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I don't watch much tapes. Not really my thing. Like I know that's like a lot of people. That's what they do. I don't, but I was like, I am like, who is this guy? Cause you know, like I said, two years ago, I didn't know who, you know, a different fighter was. And so I just watched a little bit and I was like, this guy cannot stop a takedown. And then you got Wellington Terman coming at him. Who's really good at takedowns attempts a decent amount of them good at submissions. And actually is a decent striker. I could definitely, it's like, you know, I, although I do agree with, a decision is most likely here, but like John said that, you know, if you can get him plus 350 to plus 500 via submission, I think that's a, I mean, it's a great line. Um, I think him at plus money is crazy. I, I, I just, I mean, you know, there's always a chance for a knockout, but tournament can strike. I did like, you know, I listened to some other podcasts and I'm like, Oh, the guy can't strike. I'm like, eh, eh, decent. It's decent. So, um, yeah, I, I like tournament here. I, yeah, at plus money, I like the sub. You know, sprinkle on it. It, you know, yes for some bets later that may be included in one in somebody here. So, yeah, tournament all day. Let's go. All right, Felix, bring this one home. For, do you uh, for me? Do you actually think that uh, you're going to be on an island here with Mr. Bruno Silva, or do you think that tournament gets it done? I am actually on the tournament side as well. Um, I just think that I actually the the sub prop is interesting. I hadn't really thought about uh hitting that however i will say that uh, i did have plus 350 on the decision prop written down i haven't bet it yet um well done john to, to getting the the good plus 125 line on it um i know that's moved to like the plus 105 region now um i'm still i haven't 
bet anything yet on this. Uh, plus 350 was the only one on the decision prop that I had that I was looking at. I'll probably bet it uh, straight up now that I'm hearing you guys talk about it a little more. May, might check it out a little bit more tonight and tomorrow morning. Um, but yeah, I think you guys kind of put it perfectly. For me, it's either Bruno by knockout, but I'm not really convinced that he can do that anymore. And plus 200 is not a good uh, good enough price for me to hit that. Um, I do think that, you know, if Silva is able to survive plus 350 by decision, uh, if it goes to decision is kind of a lock. I don't really see how Silva is going to win a decision there. So I'm always, I always love those props because, um, you know, uh, when you're rooting for a finish, uh, that's sometimes can get a little bit dicey if once you get to the second and third round. Um, but you're definitely happy that once you get to the end of the second and the beginning of the third, when it's a pretty clear 2-0, uh, and you're riding a plus 300, plus 350 ticket. Um, that always feels good. So I'll probably hit uh, a little bit of uh, Terman uh, straight up um, in case he does finish. Maybe I'll sprinkle a little bit of the sub prop, but for me, I'll probably be uh, mostly looking at that plus 350 by decision. I think that that's um, the more likely path to victory, and plus 350 is a, is a pretty good price tag. I'm kind of surprised that the line hasn't completely flipped at this point in time. It seems like everybody that I'm speaking to or even on the timelines is on Terman. So where is that money? Let's let's start bringing that money in so we can make Terman a favorite come fight time. And that could absolutely happen. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. This should be a banger of a fight. We got Julian Arosa going up against Sungwoo Choi who was finally able to put together at least two straight wins now in the UFC last time around where he was able to uh, go to a decision against Yusuf Zalal and get the victory there. In terms of odds, we got minus 135-ish for Sungwoo Choi, uh, plus 120-ish for Julian Arosa, uh, and I'll kick this breakdown off. Uh, I do lean on the Choi side here. I do think he is rightfully the favorite. He's a little bit more technical, a little bit more crisp, a little bit tighter with his striking compared to the Julian Arosa side of things who just, you know, He's a 30, I believe he's a 35 five veteran at this point in time. Yeah, 30, 30, 36. No, my, my math is completely off. 33 five veteran. <laughs> uh, and I think that uh, doesn't really show, right? Like when he throws his, his strikes and stuff, it seems like he has his own style of striking, the juicy J type of striking, which is like hands down. And a lot of his shots come from just winging his shots. He just like whips his body in one direction, and just lets his hands fly. And it works out for him, right? He's been able to win at least 25 of his 33 fights. So that definitely works out for him in that aspect. But I think he's going to run into some trouble here with a much more technical striker and so will Choi whenever Rosa is going to be swinging those shots. He's going to be getting dinged up by the straighter and cleaner shots that are going to be coming his way from Troy. My question mark is how is Troy going to deal with the wily veteran style of Julian Rosa? Because he is wild. He is chaotic. You know, he starts off pretty strong, just as we saw in the Nate Landwehr fight last time around. And uh, Troy did seem to slow down ever so slightly against Yusuf Zalal in their fight in that third round. So maybe that's another spot that Julian Rosa could possibly take advantage of. He did start to wear on Sean Woodson later on in their fight, eventually locking up that dark stroke finish. But I do still find myself coming back to Sungwoo Choi, just being the cleaner and crisper striker, improving takedown defense. So I'd be very surprised if Julian Rosa is able to get this fight to the ground or at least get himself into a position where he gets his jujitsu game going, which I fully expect to be better than Choi's. But I just don't think he's going to be able to apply it effectively enough here to you know find the tap here against uh, Sungwoo Choi. So I'm going to be going with the Choi side. I could see violence in this fight. I could see a potential underhitting, but uh, the side that I'm also ultimately going to be going with is Choi by decision. Once again, I do think that we'll see Arosa eat the shots. Uh, I do think that we'll see Choi, you know, be again very disciplined, just land the better strikes, land the more volume, don't throw super or too much into his strikes so he's not off balance or that Arosa can take advantage of anything like that. And I do think that we'll see Sungu Choi, the majority of his success coming from countering uh, the more uh, wild style of Julian Arosa, especially when he overextends 
hands on a lot of the strikes. So I do think that we'll see Choi land the better strike. So once again, I'm going to go with Choi. And Choi, by decision, at t- plus 240, is definitely calling my name because I do think that there's some value there. So I'm on the Choi side by decision. Christian, how are you feeling about this one? This is going to blow your mind. I'm on the Choi side via decision also. Shit. <laughs> I worry about, you know, Rosa coming out because he, you know, he can be a little wild. Um, he's aggressive, unconventional. Um, and, you know, Choi is like really structured. I think like the better boxer. Um, Arosa gets rocked, but, you know, it's like Gaethje gets rocked too. And most of the time, like you can recover. You know, some people could just do it. Um, I guess it's, pretty unfair to compare Rosa and Gaethje, but, um, yeah, I, your breakdown was like, perfect. You kind of took the words right out of mouth. I agree with you a hundred percent. It's how I see it. If I going, I'm betting, I, yeah, I mean, I'll bet probably bet the over, I'll probably bet the over end. Um, so that right now. Oh um, yeah. The, oh, the over one and a half. I'll parlay that over one and a half minus two thirty. So I'll parlay that with something. I'll find something that's around the same just make it even money but yeah i your breakdown was perfect like just perfect i love it yeah <laughs> that's always great uh and i do just want to confirm here my guy james beck is saying 12 fights 12 decisions i actually said nine of those fights are going to go to a decision that's where i believe so not all 12 i'm not i don't think it's going to be that long of a night but uh just nine fights felix uh, i'll bring it on over to you who do you got between troy and juicy j arosa so i actually uh I'm going to go with a a fighter to finish uh, in Juliana Rosa here. I think that, in my opinion, Choi is really nothing special. Um, I did bet him against Zalal, but um, shout out to Jonah if he's watching. He knows that I have a a deep hatred for Zalal. Uh, Not because him as a person. I think he's a fantastic person. Um, I just think he's way overrated. Uh, At this point in time, I think he has some potential. Uh, I think he's still super green. But I do think that Choi, uh, in his last fight, you know, Zalal is pretty hittable. Um, so I'm not really all convinced that Choi is, uh, is really that good. I think Arosa has been getting better. I remember at one point in time, uh, for people who have been watching MMA for a while, he was, uh, glass chin Arosa. Um, I mean, he was just getting, kind of getting, he got head kicked by, uh, shout out to Julio Arce, um, head kick finished by Julio Arce. Um, and he just, you know, it just kind of seemed like he couldn't really take a punch, but in his last fight, uh, especially against Nate Landwehr, who's actually generally been a pretty tough guy. Um, he just came out with full chaos, uh, looking like he was, it was round one or nothing. And for me, I think that that's interesting. I think that plus three thirty in the decision is interesting. Arosa seven to one by TKO or KO is interesting. I know he's got a legit ground game, um, and can sub him. So that's why if you want to make it a little safer on yourself, plus three thirty in the decision, I think that Arosa, uh, I'll have shares of Arosa straight up. Um, Arosa, I haven't decided if I'll go by TKO or in the decision altogether. Um, but I just think that Choi is, you know, again, really nothing special. I think that if he hadn't beaten Zalal, who's, uh, you know, in my opinion, kind of always overvalued in the markets, um, you'd probably see a Rosa. This would either be a pick'em or a Rosa, maybe a slight favorite. Um, so that's just my take. I, I, I imagine some people out there disagree with that. But uh, if you give me seven to one on a Rosa by TKO, if he comes out the way he did against Nate Landwehr, uh, it looks like he was going for TKO there. So, um, you know, and two of the three losses uh, in Choi's career have been uh, have come by finish. So uh, it's not that he's not susceptible to getting finished. Um, and in a wild cage fight with a wild man, I'll take a, I'll take a, an underdog play. 
Yeah, John, uh, this is actually going to be the third stint for Julian Rosa inside the UFC. The last time around, uh, he won on the contender series by knocking out Jamal Emers and then goes on a three-fight skid, losing to Devontae Smith, Grant Dawson, Julio Arce. Shout out to uh, Tiger Showman's Julio Arce there. Uh, then goes to Cage Sport, beats a guy named AJ Bryant, and quickly finds himself back inside the UFC. And this is probably his most successful stint so far, right? Two, two uh, wins, two knockouts, pretty highlight reel-esque type finishes. How do you think uh, he gets it done this weekend if you think he gets it done at all? Yeah, I also bet Choi in his last fight against Zalil. Uh Choi, former uh, Muay Thai world champion. He is a good striker. I think both guys have good power i think both guys are capable of winning by knockout here i think this is one uh you know i agree with you Locke. i think your breakdown was on point uh, i think we're going to see some violence though i think this one ends with a finish i think both guys could win win via finish and it's funny because they're both like i i think they're both good strikers offensively i think Choi's a little bit more technical but both guys have finishing power and they both sort of lack the defense. Like you watch Choi, like he he gets tagged in a lot of hits fights. And obviously Arosa does as well, because like Felix said, like he'll just, you know, go balls to the wall, complete disregard for his defense and, and try to get that finish. So I think, you know, looking back at multiple fights from these guys, they both like to own the center and they both like to push forward. So I think they're just going to meet in the middle until somebody drops. And I agree with you. I think Choi's been making improvements on his uh, takedown defense and uh, his defensive grappling. When he first came into the UFC, that was a pretty pretty major leak for him. And multiple times now we've seen improvements, uh, especially in that Zaleel fight as well. So, uh, so yeah, I think this one stays standing. And I think uh, we probably see a knockout one way or the other. I don't hate taking a shot on the dog in Arosa, but I tend to lean with Choi just based on the durability. I think he's He's a little bit more uh, durable and a little more physical to where he'll be able to keep the fight standing and uh, hopefully land a big shot and uh, knock out Juicy J, Julian Arosa. Yeah, even though I see this fight going to a decision, I hopefully I'm hoping that we get some violence here. Uh, I'm not going to be mad at a possible finish from either side, but this should be a striking battle for as long as it lasts. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Here we got three fights left. We got Marlon Vera going up against Davy Grant in a rematch that nobody has asked for, but we're getting it regardless. Christian, I'll actually let you kick this one off. What do you think uh, wins? Do you think that Marlon Vera avenges his loss to uh, Davy Grant from five or six years ago, or do you think that Davy Grant just has his number? And it feels like they never fought because they're, they feel like they're, you know, what is uh, Grant's fought five times and Vera's fought 14 or 15 times in the gap. And it's like, it doesn't feel like a rematch to me. Um, I, I hate this because I love Davy Grant. Like it, his fights are so fun to watch. He's so sloppy, so wild. Like I feel like I'm watching the Friday night fights instead of the Saturday night ones when he's on. Um, and like, he, like, you know, his personality is, I mean, he's hilarious. I, I, I think his skill set is much better than, like, you know, he, his body doesn't look like, uh, doesn't, he doesn't really look like an athlete. And I think that people sleep on him because of that. It's always something like that I've noticed, like it's when he's just finishing dudes and it's like in his, you know, quirky personality. Um, but at the same time, Cheeto Vera just came off a fight with, you know, Jose Aldo. Uh, it's, you know, he's, it's Martin Day, Jose Aldo. It's like that, you know, the competition you're dealing with in your last couple fights. Um, it's pretty crazy. It it pains me. Uh, I I really like them both, but I I, I think that Cheeto has just improved so much. Um, you know, even when you know he, I, you know, he was there. That fight with uh, 
Jose Aldo was it was one one going into three and you know he got grapple fucked which I like I didn't even know Jose grappled like that I thought he was just a striker but um, you know he just came off one of the you know facing one of the best in the world and as much as I want Davy Grant to win this like I want to see his post fight because they're they make me crack up I I just think Cheeto is more skilled at this time I know you I know your take on this I was I had to listen to it like three times today and I'm like I want a side there I want a side there. But I'm gonna stick with Cheeto. But kind of my heart, my money, my money's on Cheeto. I think my heart is with Davy Grant. All right, we got one guy on the favorite here, Felix. You gonna be with uh, Cheeto, uh, avenging this loss, or do you think that uh, Grant gets it done once again? I think that uh, if I had a gun to my head, I'm gonna pick Cheeto. Uh, however, I do think for me personally, this is kind of a dog or pass uh, situation. I love Cheeto as a person and as a fighter. Um, I've bet him uh, most of the times he's been out there recently. That was a little bit heartbreaking against Jose Aldo, how that third round played out. Um, but I just think that uh, overall, you know, Grant looked pretty good against Jonathan Martinez. Um, you know, Cheeto Vera is super fun. He's durable. Um, and I do think that, uh, as we know, Marlon Vera always kind of starts start slow and finds himself in these very close decisions. Um for that reason, uh, if it's to go to a decision and it's going to be a close decision, give me the five to one grant by decision prop. Um, you know, Cheeto is obviously capable of finishing. He's a he's a really great fighter, kind of everywhere, um, super solid. But Grant, you know, he's he's no uh, easy out, and I do think that uh, he he did look good in his last outing. So will I hit plus one seventy straight up? Probably not. Um, you know, do I want shares of Cheeto? at minus 200 minus 220 also probably not if anything i might play a little bit of grant five to one by decision because with these judges and with uh cheeto's unfortunate past with judging especially in that uh song Dong fight um it's uh you know he hasn't had the best of luck and it's also i mean he's also kind of made life harder for himself where he virtually always loses the first round except against sean uh and you know obviously finished and we know that that how how that played out but um, again, he he kind of always makes it so that it goes one one going into the third, and you know if Grant outlands him or for some reason, uh, you know Grant is up two zero, then you're looking at a five to one ticket going into the third round, um, which I will take in a hundred percent of of the meetings of any fight on the planet. So um, that's kind of my take on it. Uh, dog or pass, if you want a little action on it, five to one Grant by decision, I think is interesting, um, and that's kind of where I stand on it. Uh, John, I was very surprised at the opener on this with Marlon Vera all the way up at minus 285. He's gradually come down to that minus 190 range. First of all, do you all agree with the opener? And second of all, who do you see winning this fight? Yeah, I think anyone that got in on Grant in the opener, that's uh, some pretty sharp money because I, I do think Vera, like obviously he's made a, a ton of improvements since the first fight. Um, don't don't see either guy getting 30-26 here. Uh, I don't think anybody does. But uh, but yeah, so it's like, has has he made enough improvements to justify being a minus 250 favorite or, or now even at minus 200? I'm not super convinced because, you know, you guys all brought up some really valid points. Like, yeah, I love I love Cheeto Vera as well, but he's a slow starter. He relies a lot on finishing. He's not the best round winner and especially starting slow. Like if he drops the first round, then we're really either relying on him to finish or to just come from behind. David Grant's not a terrible fighter either. 
Um, you know, he'll he'll mix in the takedowns. Uh, I, I think he could take Cheeto down. Um, I, I don't think he'll do it as successfully as the first time around um, because of all the improvements that Cheeto has made. Um, it, this, this is a tough, tough fight for me. I ended up passing. I, I totally get the dog play. I know a lot of people, uh, a lot of sharp people are on Grant as a big dog here, and I totally get it. I just, for whatever reason, I couldn't come around um, to take a shot. And maybe it's just my Cheeto bias because I do like Cheeto Vera. Um, I, I, I guess I lean Vera, but you know, I could see this being a super competitive fight. So I guess in a way I, I sort of made a case for the dog in, in Davy Grant. Yeah. I, I don't know where you can find anybody out there that truly hates Cheeto Vera, right? I think everybody likes the guy, uh, you know, has a good, obviously life story and all that. And you'd really want to root for him. But, uh, I, I've always thought that he's been slightly overrated. Like a lot of people put a lot of stock in him. And I truly don't think that he's really up there. Like the fact that I got, uh, Jose Aldo around like minus 150, minus 160 in their last fight. I was more than happy with that. Obviously it did get a little bit icky going into that third round concerning it was one, one going into that third round. Uh, but when have you ever seen Jose Aldo? grapple fuck somebody that's just never happened uh so for him to go out there and backpack uh cheeto vera for the majority of five minutes or the last five minutes of the fight is very concerning i still do believe that david grant a lot of people are thinking that he's just falling in love with the striking and he's just strictly going to go out there to strike and that would obviously be a very bad move against a guy in marlon vera who probably has more tools on the feet um I do think that we'll still see David Grant mixing those takedowns. He still seems like he seeks it every now and then, just as we saw in the Gregory Popov fight a couple fights ago. Um, and even though he has knockout power, Marlon Vera is very difficult to put away. Never been finished in his career. And I believe, uh, I, I think I saw a statistic somewhere. I got to confirm it. Maybe you guys can do that for me. But uh, he's one in five in terms of decisions. More often than not, he's going out there and just winning by by finish. And I think that Davy Grant is going to be uh, kind of difficult for him to put away. Uh, in terms of... Uh, uh, the way to put away Davy Grant, though, is by submission, right? Since the Marlon Vera fight, he's been submitted twice, uh, albeit Manny Bermudez, I think, is a very high-level jiu-jitsu player. We can make all the jokes about him not making weight, but the guy is still a really good jiu-jitsu player. And then the Damian Stasiak one kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit, but still, I do think that Marlon Vera could present that type of threat. Thank you, Christian. I appreciate that that confirmation there. Uh, but in terms of uh, how this fight plays out, I still do think that Davy Grant is going to lean on a similar game plan to what he had first time around, which is, you know, strike for a little bit and try to mix in the grappling and the takedowns because i do think that do think that that still is the weakest part of uh marlon vera's game especially when he's dealing with somebody with uh crushing top pressure and is able to kind of control him in those situations and i think that davy grant can still do that now there's obviously the level of experience right we're, we're talking about marlon vera uh like christian talked about you know 13 14 fights since the fir la uh, first time that they fought whereas david grant has only fought about five times apparently davy's just doing it for the fun of it right like he doesn't really have a lucrative uh reason to actually be fighting apparently he has a very successful restaurant out from where he's from so he doesn't really care about fighting too much but he still goes out there and fucking fights his heart out man and we're definitely be seeing it in his last three fights where he's been able to knock out two of those guys and uh he, he's forever the underdog right everybody continues to count him out every single time but he goes out there and springs a huge upset last time around against Jonathan martinez as a plus 250 dog did get hurt and rocked at the end of that first round but came into that second round with a fire and we truly see the tides turning in that fight leading up to that knockout blow that uh, david grant was able to actually uh muster up and put together so i, I am going with the dog i do have him as my dog of the and I play. I do have a unit and a half on him at plus 165. I think it should be closer to maybe like a an even, maybe even plus 110 for Davy Grant. I do think it should be much closer line, but I just think that 
you know, widely speaking, a lot of people just overlook David Grant's skills and he's going to continue to go out there and continue to prove people wrong. And I don't think that Marlon Vera is ever really going to sniff that top five, top seven uh, type of competition or at least being ranked in that spot. He might fight guys that are top five, top seven, but I just don't think he's going to be able to overcome those types of obstacles. David Grant probably himself won't ever be a top five, top seven guy, but I do think that stylistically speaking, he has Marlon Vera's numbers. So I'm going to be going with uh, with David Grant and the spot that that really perks me up a little bit is the uh, the uh, Grant by decision at plus four forty. Good lord, people! What what what? I, I what? <laughs> like Vera's never been finished, right? Uh, David Grant, even though he has knockouts in his last two fights, he has won decisions in the past. So yeah, I, I'm going Grant, and I'm definitely going to have a lot of stock in that uh, decision prop as I do believe that there's a ton of uh, value there. I believe. Uh, Christian, you already you already had your 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 spiel on this matchup, right? Yeah, but I'll say he's already beaten by a decision. You can get yeah. it by a decision at plus four forty. Thank you. Like what? <laughs> like, even it's like I'm on the Cheeto side, but that I mean, it's like you know you've already seen it once. And yeah, you know, rematches tend to favor mm -hmm. the winner, the previous winner. So. All right, yeah. let's move on to the co-main event here. We got Alexei Olenek up against Sergei Spivak. I believe Spivak is the second biggest favorite on the card. He's coming in around that minus 215 range. Payback on uh, or comeback on Alexei Olenek is roughly around plus 195. Christian, I'm actually going to let you kick this one off. Or, or sorry, Felix. Felix is uh, going to be kicking this one off. Uh, who do you got in this heavyweight slugfest or possible grapple fest? Um, Sergei Spivak by TKO. I mean, <laughs> I... I I've made, uh, I don't even know if I'm profitable on betting Alexei Olenek in the long run. <laughs> he win. I mean, you know, I kind of bet him every time, uh, or not, not every time, but I've bet him and, and hit him as a dog, uh, multiple times over his unreal career. He probably has the most fights of any active UFC fighter. That could be true. I don't know. Um, but he's, he's obviously a legend in his own right, but I just don't think that, uh, he can really take a punch anymore. He's, shown that he's never made improvements with his striking defense. Uh, he's there to be hit. If he can, obviously, if he can wrap you up and get that that Ezekiel choke, you're in a world of trouble. Um, but other than that, I really don't see uh, any other paths to victory for, for Linux. And I think that, quite frankly, it's about time that he retires. Um, so Spivak minus 230 straight up is not uh, super interesting. Minus 140 even by TKO KO. You know, maybe you want to throw that, uh, throw that in there, or throw that into to a parlay with something if you're if you if you're a parlay player um, with something a little bit either earlier or down the card. Um, but for me, it's I just can't really pick uh, Olenek at this point in his career. I don't think he's going to sub Spivak. I mean, you know, if if I was a, a head coach or a fighter going to fight Alexei Olenek, I would literally say do I would train everything to not go to the ground with Alexei Olenek, and you probably will win. So um, let's assume that Spivak has good coaches and somewhat of uh, decent fight IQ, and I think that it's pretty fairly straightforward on how he gets it done. So um, have, I will probably not bet anything here. Uh, maybe if I'm super bored and don't want to watch a sloppy heavyweight fight, I'll throw a little bit of action on uh, Spivak by finish or TKO. But other than that, I'll probably be staying away because who knows, you know, the 43 or 44-year-old, I don't even know how old he is anymore. Um, boa constrictor can always wrap up a sub, but other than that, uh, you know, I'm really not too, too interested in this, in this slugfest. And honestly, I hope that if 
Alexei Olenek gets knocked out again here that he, like, for his own sake, retires uh, because he's had a good enough career. And, uh, you know, he's he's a fun guy to watch, but at this point he's just like a standing punching bag. I'm right there with you. Uh, John, uh, Alexei Olenek coming into his 75th fight, if I'm not mistaken, at the prime and ripe age of 43 years old. Do you think he turns back the the 14-fight veteran, I believe, Sergei Spivak is, or do you think that Spivak gets this fight done? Yeah, 75 fights. He's been knocked out, what, uh, a documented nine times in his career. So I, I think this is going to be number 10, honestly. Just uh, Spivak, whatever way he wants, just has to avoid that early clinch up and, and attempt at an Ezekiel choke. Like you guys were saying, that's really his only path to victory. Um, he does have a little bit of power. He might wing a couple overhand rights, but I'm, I'm not too, uh, too concerned about him. So I, I really won't go too deep on this one. I think Spivak gets it done. I think he, he ends up avoiding the one or two minutes of cardio that Olenek has and then uh, knocks him out and gets the finish. So Spivak by TKO is my pick. I like it. Uh, I'm going to be on the Spivak side here too, but I do think that he takes a little bit more of a disciplined approach. Similar to what Felix was saying, he wants to keep this fight away from the hitting the ground and hitting those grappling situations. But more often than not, when you see Spivak fight, that's kind of his MO, right? They go, he takes guys down, he mauls them just like he did in the Jared Vandera fight. And I think that he's going to look to do that here, but just not super early where we have old man Olenek nice and fresh. So I could see him kind of just playing it safe on the feet for about a round or so. I believe somebody actually just broke it down into the in the chat, but just keep it at range try to jab his face off, and then as, as Olenek starts to slow down, then start to go back to that uh, Sergei Spivak style of getting this fight to the ground and trying to uh, get that mauling going on. I do think this fight actually hits the over one and a half, which I currently think sits at that plus money. Uh, I know statistics and everything favor, uh, you know, the, uh, um, Alexei Olenek fights to go under one and a half, but I think in the, the dance partner that he has with Sergei Spivak here, who's, you know, obviously only 14 fights into his MMA career compared to the 75, that Olenek's bringing to the table, he wants to be as disciplined as possible and not take an L to a guy that's you know going to be 44 in exactly a week's time. Uh, so I, I do like the over one and a half in this fight. Uh, I, I did last night drop on the prop you up show. I put Sergey Spivak by decision in that plus 600, plus 700 range. I don't mind that. Like a lot of people are saying that Olenek's cardio falls off a cliff after, you know, a round and a half or so. But I still can see Spivak just playing it super disciplined and just not getting wrapped up in anything uh, with uh, with Olenek. And, you know, with the style that he'll probably be fighting, Olenek might, might have a little bit better of a gas tank, you know, just getting his face jabbed off for the majority of that fight. So uh, I'm going to take Spivak. Spivak around three is something that's calling my name as well. Uh, but I do like that Spivak at plus 600 for the decision uh, worth a little bit of a sprinkle. So I'll definitely be chasing a little bit of that. Uh, Christian, I'll let you bring this one home. You going with uh, the boa constrictor, or do you think that uh, Dracula, as I like to call him, Sergei Spivak is able to pull this off? Like Tupac said, it's me against the world, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I like Olenek here. It's funny when I looked it up as the polar bear versus the boa constrictor. It's like I ended up, I was like, got to tape it, ended up watching Planet Earth. But yeah, I think that uh, the Spivox, the only way to win is like, he's not a good range striker. Like it's ground and pound. Like he takes you down, he mauls him. It's like, does he want to take Olenek to the ground? Like, does he want to get in his guard? I feel like we saw a very similar fight last week. I think the dynamics are super similar to the Craig Jamal. I guess that Jamal Hill is a much better striker, but does Spivak want to be on top of him? And can he piece him up at range? Like, I don't, I'm not really sure that, that and that's not his, that's not the way he does things. So 
It's a long shot. It's the second biggest underdog on the card. Um, I wouldn't go heavy on it, but you know, I, I like to I like to find the dogs where I can find them. So I honestly think Olenek is gonna it's gonna submit Spivak, and I think it's gonna come from some sort of weird ground and pound. Like you know, he's gonna get over, and then it's gonna you know lose an arm, lose an elbow, and it's it's gonna get choked out. So yeah, if, I mean, if it goes past the round, we all know it's gonna happen. All it's, right. Look yeah. at uh, Mr. Christian Costello over there on the island with uh, Alexi Olenek. But again, I'm never going to hate on anybody for taking a shot at dog odds. All right. That brings us to our main event, probably one of the toughest fights to call on the card. And the uh, the odds are indicative of that. We got minus 130. A uh, little bit of love coming in on Dan Ige as fight week has progressed. He's sitting at 130. And we got uh, Chan Sung Yoon, Korean Zombie, around plus 115, plus 110. Uh, John, I'm actually going to get you to kick this one off for us. Do you like Dan Ige to finally get a win in his uh, second main event slot? Or do you think that Korean zombie pushes him away? Yeah, I'm on the Ige side here. Played Ige for uh, a unit at minus 110. I just think he's uh, overall just a better fighter at this stage in his career. I think he's more well-rounded. I think Korean zombie obviously has a power advantage, uh, but that's really kind of it. You know, I I think Korean zombie's a really good grappler, an underrated grappler. So I think the grappling kind of nullifies itself here. And I think if it does hit the mat, and I'm not really convinced that it will, but if it does, I think it'll be Ige, the one landing takedowns. He's more willing to proactively wrestle, but I think he can win minutes on the feet. I think he's got he's got good boxing. I think he's going to have a speed advantage here, and I think defensively he's just a lot sharper. Uh, you know, we saw it in multiple fights, but especially against Brian Ortega, Korean Zombie is just kind of there to be hit. Doesn't move his head off the center line, and I just think over the course of five rounds, Dan Ige is is kind of going to piece him up on the feet and be able to mix in the takedowns as well. So uh, I, I just think, uh, you know, out of pick I think Dan Ige was clearly the side. I think at minus 130, I think he's still pretty clearly the side. Um, not sure how much value there is left. I'd probably play it up to maybe like minus 140, somewhere in that range. But but yeah, I, I feel pretty good about uh, the Dan Ige side here. So we'll go Ige by decision. I like it. Uh, and I, just, and I, I, sorry, I said decision because I see the chats on tilt that you keep saying decision. So I, <laughs> I threw out a decision for you, Lock. You're throwing them. You're you're, you're throwing them for a whirl right here for sure. Uh, in terms of how I feel about it, I do like the Danny Gay side as well. I do think he actually has the chops to go out there and knock out uh, Korean Zombie. Now I know historically speaking, Danny Gay hasn't really been a crazy knockout puncher, and obviously just knocked out da uh, Gavin Tucker in his last fight. But I do think that he has the chops on a deteriorating, deteriorated. I absolutely butchered butchered that word. Deteriorating. Uh, Chan Sung Young, Korean Zombie. I do think that his skills are slowly starting to fall off, uh, which is why there's rumors out there that if he loses this fight it could possibly be his last one and i don't blame him right like let, let's be honest if that hanatomoy kano fight didn't end the way that it did like if it did end up going the full three rounds Kano probably beats him especially what we saw in that brian ortega fight right a lot of people that was probably the most unpredictable way for a fight to go in that uh chan sung Jung and brian ortega fight nobody would have expected brian ortega to come out with that type of striking style and that much of an improvement between his fight with uh, max hallway and obviously his next fight against korean zombie but i do think that dan Ige is going to be the faster guy here i think his blitz attacks will catch chan sung Jung off guard every now and then uh he's going to land the more damaging and impactful shots uh, i think both guys ground games are really good obviously we know danny gay is a black belt and we obviously know korean zombie has some tricks up his sleeve obviously being one of the first people to pull off a twister victory or tw twister submission in the ufc over leonard garcia 
but I do think if this fight hits the mat, it does slightly uh, uh, have the advantage on the on the Dan Ige side. But I do expect this fight to play out on the feet for the majority of it. Uh, I do think he's going to get the knockout probably in the third round. Uh, I think the KO prop is certain around that plus 400, plus 500 range. I'll definitely be looking to hit that. Um, let me just confirm that EA by KO plus 300. So it has been taking a little bit of action. One little tidbit that I'm actually going to throw out there for anybody that actually does prize picks, uh, they actually have Dan Ige's takedown set at one. If you can hit the over there, I think there's some uh, some value there. You'll probably cash some uh, prize picks slips if you're actually able to, to get some money down on that. But I do really like that spot. So Dan Ige over one takedown on prize picks. But in terms of an actual win, I am picking Ige. I understand why the money is slowly coming in on him. And uh, it, yeah, that last fight was just not a good look for Zombie. And it truly doesn't even feel like his head is in the game anymore, right? Like even when he weighed in this morning, like... Just didn't even look like he wanted to fucking be there. And who wants to be weighing in half naked on a scale anyway, right? In front of tons of people. I completely understand that aspect. But the, it's a part of the job. You know I mean? Even at the, the press conference, he's talking about not wanting to have five-round fights anymore. And I get it. You don't want to have to fight an extra 10 minutes and get paid the same amount of money as if you were fighting a three-round fight. But you just see it kind of wearing on him. And then obviously those rumors out there that he's probably going to hang it up with an L this weekend. Not a good look, especially coming in against a guy like Dan Ige, 29 years old, still trying to carve out a legacy for himself inside the MMA world. Not a good look at all. So even stylistically speaking, I see uh, Dan Ige getting to the punches a lot quicker. I think he's hella durable as well, so I don't think a knockout is going to bail out a zombie victory anymore. And if this fight goes the full 30, 25 minutes, I think we'll see the better moments from Dan Ige in this spot. And uh, the more impactful strikes, obviously, coming from Dan Ige too. But I do actually think he gets it done probably in the third or fourth round by KO. Christian? What are your thoughts on this featherweight main event? I think you guys changed my mind because I had just had real, I had one stat. Like, you know, I have like my normal notes about the fighters, but the last time Zombie won outside of round one was on Fuel TV three versus Dustin Poirier. Wow. In 2005, 15, 2012. That's the last time. That was like the thing I noted. And then your guys' arguments. I'm like, so he has, he essentially like, I'll take eight to nine years worth of data and be like, oh my God, like that's, he's lost, but it's the only way he's won. So I was like, wait, so yeah, I switched my pick to Ige. Uh, Ige's never been finished. So it's like, I combine those two points of data and like, I'm not super data driven, but wow. Ige's never been finished and Zombie hasn't won a fight outside of round one since he finished Poirier in 2012. So on that, I am also on Dan, hopefully 75K Ige. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, Felix, it seems like it's almost a unanimous decision all around here with uh, Dan Ige. You're going to throw a wrench in our plans and pick Korean Zombie, or do you think that Dan Ige gets it done? Nah, 50-44 uh, Dan Ige here. I just think wow. that uh, I, I, I just think that I actually bet Dan Ige. He was the first thing that I bet this week. Uh, I got him at plus 100. Um, and then I bet him again at minus 105. Uh, I think that was on Tuesday. I bet him first at plus 100 on Monday. Because I just felt like the Sharps were going to get there. I just think that in my book, in a five-round fight, I have Danny Gay at minus 180, even bordering minus 200. I think the only reason that Chan Sung Jung uh, started as a favorite uh, is because he's the Korean zombie. He's a fan favorite. He's got flashy knockouts. But when you actually like boil down the matchup, uh, Danny Gay has lost me a fuck ton of money in the past, and I hate the guy for that. But I'm hoping that I'm hoping that today or tomorrow is the day that he makes it all back for me. I mean, you know, like 
the Edson Barbosa fight, in my opinion, Edson won that fight. I was also biased. I had Edson, Mirsad Bektic. I also had Mirsad Bektic. Gavin Tucker. I also had Gavin Tucker. So maybe I'm the wrong person to be asking about Danny Gay fights. But I do think that, like, when you look at it, uh, if Korean Zombie and Christian really made a good point, um, if he doesn't finish in the first round, I don't really see how he wins this. Danny Gay for me is like, I don't think he will ever be UFC champion. I don't think he's really a top two, three featherweight. But I do think he could crack the top five. He always makes improvements. Um, you know, he's obviously super well managed, has a great fight camp, uh, works extremely hard. And it just feels like Korean Zombie had his moment to make a title run. And I'm just not really sure that he's there again. And I think that the UFC is giving him no favors if they want him to 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 make a run for the title again and facing a guy like Dan Ige, who like to most like sharp MMA people is like a legit solid uh you know, fighter to most casuals. They're like, who's really Dan Ige when you fought the Yair Rodriguez's of the world and, you know, the, uh, the Frankie Edgar's and the Brian Ortega's. But for me to get out boxed by Brian Ortega, when you're, you know, Korean zombie for me, it was a, that was kind of where I knew that, you know, he's tailing off. And I think that Danny Gay, again, as I said, is just making like really legit improvements. So then when you boil down the fight, it's like Ige is not getting subbed by zombies. So let's throw that out the picture. And then striking wise, volume is on Ige's side and i don't think that there's any chance that korean zombie out volumes Ige. um and then you're right i think like the wrestling side i think that he can wrestle zombie um and if not wrestle he can you know kind of maybe push him up against cage a couple times um you know frustrate zombie and i just think that like korean zombie again he's a legend and uh and i love the guy but i just think that in this matchup it's just kind of a nightmare matchup if this was three rounds i would say that the price is a little bit more right um, and I still think that the price would remain around where it is now. But in my book, you know, in a five-round fight, uh, again, I just think that if Ige can survive the first round and he has a good chin on him, uh, then I don't think that, you know, he really is facing much threat at all unless Korean Zombie goes, like, balls to the wall, kind of like the way he did against um, Dennis Bermudez. Uh, but, again, that was round one. So we don't know outside of round one what he's really capable of these days in terms of when he's winning a fight. Uh, so for me, Danny Gay is my biggest play of the week. Um, I absolutely love him. And I think that even at minus 120 or whatever it is now, um, you know, John made a good point. Minus 140, maybe up to there. I, I even think a little bit more. I also think for you degenerate parlay players out there, um, you know, throwing Danny Gay is the last piece of your parlay and then hedging out when you get to it is not a bad play either. You know, you, you'll probably get uh, plus two, three, four, five hundred on your tickets, depending on what you're playing. And then, you know, you could always hedge out with a little, uh, you know, to, to cover your stake um, when it gets to the final main event of the evening. So um, that's those are my thoughts on on the main event tomorrow night. Uh, the last thing I'll actually add on this matchup, uh, just a slight counterpoint, but I still do agree with Christian's approach in terms of, uh, you know, we haven't seen Korean Zombie truly win outside of the first round, outside of that Dustin Poirier fight. He was close to winning that Yair Rodriguez fight, right? But that feels like a spot that he can actually go out there and and pressure uh, Yair the way that he did. I feel like Yair does have a very beatable uh, style, and I think that Korean Zombie was showcasing it in that fight up until he got, you know, knocked out by one of the craziest knockouts I think we've ever seen. So uh, he was seconds away from winning a decision there, in my opinion, but uh, he comes up short there, and I do think he's going to come up short, just as I think all of us believe he's going to come up short tomorrow night and probably end up hanging it up. All right, last segment of the show that I'd love to do with you guys is give everybody's lock of the night play or their most confident play on the card. Um, I'll actually kick things off as everybody gets their notes and shit together. Again, just one play, nothing worse than minus 250. Well, it could be a straight, it could be a part 
parlay. It could be a total. I'm going to be going with the total here. I'm going to eat a little bit of chalk here on the minus 200 on the over two and a half in uh, Murata and Janduroba. I really like that spot. I think the grappling is going to cancel each other out. We should get striking. We should get grappling. We should get clinching. We should get it all. But I don't think we're going to get some, uh, a finisher. If there is a finisher, it'll probably be Janduroba by sub. But I do think that Murata has rounded out her skills enough, especially since that Rin Nakai fight. And she's now actually achieved her purple belt. I don't even believe she was a white belt back then. But I do think that she's rounded out the game good enough to nullify the BJJ black belt of Janduroba. And I'm expecting that over two and a half to hit fairly easily here christian what's your lock of the night play for uh ufc vegas 29 well i can't reveal the actual one because <laughs> there's over a g on the line for that one but um you mind if i drop two they're both they're two parlays you know so i got under 2.5 olenic uh fight and then ad vera minus 109 pretty simple there and then for the plus money people my people uh wellington via sub olenic via sub plus 2105 Jeez Louise. If you enter that into the lock and light challenge, I might have to go over there and slap your face. Anyway, Felix, what do you got for our for your lock and night play? I think you already revealed it in the yeah. main event, but reassure yeah. us. No, I mean, I wish I had something a little bit more exciting, but for me, it's Ige. Um, and I do think that you made a good point about Ige uh, finishing. I think it really kind of comes down to where, first of all, where Zombie's chin is at and also where Zombie's desire is at. Um, because I think those two things are still a little bit of question marks. However, he does have the nickname Korean Zombie um, for a reason. So I and Danny Gay's, you know, okay, he finished Gavin Tucker, which was a surprise, I think, to most people, especially how that happened, uh, myself included. But he's never been known to be a finisher of, of any sorts. So plus two forty on a guy that, you know, by decision again, people might go crazy if, uh, for another decision prop, but. Plus 240 for uh, Dan Ige by decision, I think is interesting because, again, I, I assume he's going to try to, you know, survive rounds one and two where Korean Zombie is probably most dangerous. And honestly, I don't really think that he feels like Korean Zombie is that dangerous. And I, then I just think for the rest of the night, he's just going to out-volume him. So, you know, assuming that you're in round three or four, uh, and at that point I imagine Ige's up, uh, you know, you probably feel good about getting a, a two and a half to one, uh, you know, plus 250 underdog price on the decision prop um so i think a good way of going about that is you know if you like danny gay then bet danny gay and then throw in a little bit of that decision prop uh for the people out there that think he's gonna finish i actually don't hate that at all um you know again i really won't be surprised if he does just because i really am not sure where zombies heads at but uh but yeah for me it's it's Ige all day and uh, i hope he can win me back the uh, thousands of dollars he's lost me in the past <laughs> Trust me, I definitely lost a pretty penny on that um, Rasad Bektik fight. So I, I do have and a little bit. Of that was straight robbery. <laughs> uh, John, bring us on home. What is your lock of the night play or your most confident play for this uh, for this card? Yeah, I think you guys already know I'd be somewhat of a fraud if I didn't go with my guy Nikolai here. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Nikolai uh, plus 200. We ride. All right. I like it. I like it. Okay. Last thing I want to do here is at least spin around the horn. Let these guys plug everything that they do. Again, their Twitter handles are in the description below. So you guys can just click that link and hit the follow. Trust me, you're going to enjoy what these guys bring to your timeline. Christian, what would you like to to, to plug for the guys here? Yeah, I'm I, you know, I'm not much on Twitter and I'm not a content creator. I'm not a professional better, but I'm usually just featured sometimes usually pay-per-views and some prop shows on MMA Takes Podcast. It's funny. It's definitely a little more, yeah, it's a lighthearted. We have a good time. I would check it out. Um, come say hi. That's about it. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> 
I don't I don't really use much social media. What's so. what's the reverse of plug? Because that's exactly what Christmas. Is. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. I mean, I, if you DM me, I give me a week. I may be back to you. I post about once a month. But yeah, check out MMA Takes Podcast. I really enjoy doing it, and that's my guy. He kind of got me into this, so. Um, and I'm on it sometimes. So, and I actually do win bets. So there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, shout out to our guy, Brian Petrie. He was actually on the, the ultimate Wayne show a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of my favorite guys on Twitter and he definitely needs a wider platform because that guy is the shit. I actually really enjoy listening to his podcast. Felix, uh, go ahead and plug any and everything that you'd like, brother. Yeah. Um, kind of similarly, I, I host a podcast that's called the worst is going podcast. Um, I'm way more active on Instagram. Uh, follow me there at Felix.Levine. I mostly just use my Twitter to to degen and tilt on uh, absolutely every sport. So, which is probably something I shouldn't do. I should probably make it a little <laughs> bit more professional. Um, but if you want the real pros, go to John Kelly and and Jonah Schiffman. They're, they're two of the best at at FTN. But for me, um, yeah, follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine. My YouTube channel. Um, I sit down with uh, UFC fighters um, to mob bosses to whatever you want. So. Um, hopefully you guys can, uh, check that out and, and find something a little bit fun, but, uh, that's, that's basically it for me. I'm glad that you finally corrected me because this entire time in my head, I've always been going Felix Levine for some goddamn reason. So I'm <laughs> glad that it's Felix Levine that I can finally get it right this time. Yeah. Make sure you guys go check out his podcast. I did check out the episode where you had Brendan Fitzgerald on. That was an awesome podcast. I'm sure it looked like he really enjoyed his time on there too. So shout out to you for, uh, for putting that thing together. All right, John, bring us on home. Where can everybody find you uh, for your takes and any other thing that you'd like to plug? Yeah, so me and uh, Jonas Schiffman, the uh, heavyweight chalk whale, Jonas Schiffman. No, I'm just kidding. Me and Felix said we'd take a couple jabs at him, but uh, we're running the show over at ftndaily.com, ftnbets.com. And just a quick plug, every every uh, content article is completely free this week. Everything's outside the paywall, so go ahead and check that out. And you can follow me on Twitter at John Kelly DFS. Try to have a good time on Twitter, as always, and uh, Sixers in seven. <laughs> did they actually pull I it had, off? I had money they on did. the Hawks today, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so obviously you guys can uh, find all those guys wherever they just plug themselves. Shout out to Jonas Schiffman as well. I do believe uh, he's going to be on for next week's show, so you guys will get some more FTN daily action on the Ultimate Way-In show. Make sure you guys go support these guys. And yeah, that's pretty much it on the back end here. Again, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, go show these guys some su support. And I'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern for the Fight Day live chat to talk all things UFC Vegas 29, taking all questions, comments, and concerns from the chat. So make sure you guys swing on by and show your boy some love. Uh, good luck on your bets tomorrow. Gamble responsibly. And hopefully for John Kelly's sake, Nikolai Negamariano comes through for my boy. Good luck, everybody.